0: Sunday Showcase, highlighting some of the best audio
1: storytelling found anywhere. All right here on the Mutual Audio Network.
2: The following audio drama is rated G for general audience
3: Sonic Echo.
4: welcome to sonic echo where we talk about old-time radio shows that we love and today we're continuing our season of noir and hard-boiled detectives with yours truly johnny dollar the Plantagenet affair and i'm gonna bring in our regular people i'm gonna start off with jack ward hi jack
3: Hi, I don't know how regular I am, but uh, I do know <laughs> that I that I I I am not from Hartford, Connecticut. I can say that at least. So,
4: <laughs> no, I don't think any of us are. And <laughs> Lothar Tuppen, hey Lothar.
5: Hello. I really, really wish that uh, things cost the way they did when we listened to the show today. It it really just made me depressed about inflation and everything.
4: Yeah, really, huh? And but I think welcome you can get s- a
3: cup of coffee. I think you can get a cup of coffee from a from the cops for nothing right now. I'm, I'm shocked that they had to charge him ten cents just waiting <laughs> in, in the lobby at the police station. Yeah, well, like, you know, add always, insult things, to injury. But are, I, we're getting too far. Things are tough all over. To all right, and <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> we're gonna bring in our special guest, one of my favorite voice actors, Sharon Grunwald. Welcome, Sharon.
6: Yay. hi guys Yay. welcome you thank you yes. thank you huzzah, huzzah. Yes. i am so psyched to be here and i do know where hartford is because i've been there
4: yes oh, i nice. have too i i drove through as quickly as possible no it's, it's <laughs> there's i know Yeah.
6: I, good luck with that no, you I, don't drive through true. anywhere in connecticut quickly that, that is true <laughs>
4: that is true i it's kind of going through there on what is it 80 going to new york city is that what it is or whatever road that is yeah, Yeah, it's uh, fun times.
6: It, it's amazing. You cross into the border into Connecticut, and within one mile, you're in bumper-to-bumper stop-and-go traffic. And it's that way through the entire width of the state.
3: But let's say it wasn't in 1955. Let's say it wasn't. No, it was not. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't
4: seem so. Johnny doesn't seem to have a problem getting around. But um, it is the insurance capital of the world, though. That's something to hang your hat on.
3: Oh, really? Yeah.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's why I guess that's why Johnny Dollar comes from Hartford.
3: Okay. Very cool. What
4: well, we're going to look at is a show from March 5th through 9th, 1956, that came on CBS called The Plantagen Affair. And it was during Bob Bailey's run there between 55 and 60, where uh, for part of it, they had done five 15 minute episodes, which I really like. Do you guys like those 15-minute episodes rather than just like a or 75-minute show rather than just a 30-minute show, or do you not care?
6: Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it because you've got a full hour of storytelling time once you get rid of the breaks and, and intro and exit music and all that. So they were able to really flesh out the characters, and Bob Bailey is one of my inspirations. He just made Johnny so human because he was able to with the new format.
3: And it's interesting, they're around fourteen minutes actually, the the shows and the and the exits uh credits are, are a minute and a half. So that means you're you're operating with about <laughs> eleven and a half to twelve and a half minutes worth of story to be able to tell. So I was fascinated in how breaking it down uh into acts, you know, how they would be able to do these stories and I I quite enjoy them as well. In fact, my upcoming always upcoming uh series Philippa Graves, I decided that I'm going to be breaking them into two 30-minute shows or two 25-minute shows, so a part one and a part two that way for for all of the episodes cuz I like that sort of continuation but not throughout the entire season or something, you know. So I like it too, and I think it's I think it's also
5: interesting the um, context that this was weekly. So Monday through Friday, you listen to Johnny Dollar when it was on, and you got a complete show each week. So I I like that sort of feel as an audience member of going, hey, I can just tune in each week and I get you know a complete show, but for the whole week, it's sort of you know your your scheduled programming for your entertainment. Like I thought that. The context of that, um, even more so than just the splitting it up into the 15-minute chunks, is one of the things that probably made it work very well for that audience.
4: I think so. And the other thing radio. is that, if you notice, there's uh, there's no commercials. Nope, no, no
5: commercials.
3: I think it's a sustained, isn't it? A it was. Series. It was
4: a self-sustained yeah. show by CBS. For part, some of the seasons were sponsored by Wrigley's Gum. But when right. Bob Bailey was there, those five years or so that Bob Bailey was there, they were self-sustained by CBS.
6: Right. There there were some of them that um, did have commercial breaks because I think it was Amy Bradshaw where you had the commercials still in the archived recordings.
4: Oh, OK, great. See, that's why we had you come on with us.
6: <laughs> because I'm obsessed. Yeah, I
4: think I like that. Yeah, I like that about you. But I think that
6: (laughs) I'm glad somebody does
4: uh, you fit fit right in.
5: Well, it's like your obsessions are just slightly different from ours. You know, you're probably not going to go the Shakespeare route or the mythology route,
3: but you can go your own route. That's right.
4: That's right. That's right. Yes.
3: It's kind of heartbreaking, though, that the last Johnny Dollar uh, just was before the last suspense and both of them were the last of the golden age. Like they both dot they both signaled the very end of of that kind of stuff, which september thirtieth really... nineteen sixty two yeah, yep,
4: and uh I think that's that's interesting and and so in terms of in terms i mean the show ran eight over eight hundred episodes, what from nineteen forty nine to nineteen sixty two I mean that's mm-hmm. amazing, yeah, and the fact that there's and it still over seven hundred actors
3: yeah survive through five actors yeah um and 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 jack johnstone wrote a ton of those and directed and produced most of it he's one of my absolute favorite old time radio producers because he's just like the guy who does it all and there's very little about him on the internet which is heartbreaking yeah, he was we'll we'll get into it after the other side but he was
5: really good in this i thought that um some of the d- direction and production was just you know pretty top notch especially for the time period
4: oh no question about it with Bob Bailey, now he's one of about eight different guys who played Johnny Dollar. Some of them only played it for one or two episodes. For me, I, I, I think he's the best. I like Edmund O'Brien, too. I just love Edmund O'Brien because he was one of, in one of my favorite films, The Wild Bunch. I love him for that. Plus, he was an Academy Award winner. But Bob Bailey, I thought, was fantastic. Do you guys have a favorite in terms of all the different people who played the title role in Johnny Dollar?
3: For me, it's always been Bob Bailey as well, but I am fascinated that the more I read, a lot of fans love Mandel Kramer, in the role too as his second their second favorite. So I'm going to have to go back and listen that was near the end.
4: At the, of the end. Series. He was the very end. Yeah, when they, yeah, Kramer
3: one. was the last when they moved back to New York and that's why we lost Bob Bailey is is they decided they were going to amalgamate and move all the shows from LA to New York. So
6: LA got taken over by TV and they couldn't figure out a format to make it work for television.
3: I was going to say you know Johnny Dollar is one of the few things that has never been done in movies or TV as far as I know.
4: No, I think they tried to make a movie and they- he tried to make TV, but it just never worked.
3: Fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting
6: you say that Kramer is a fan favorite because the one I hear the most is Russell.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: You know, he, Charles Russell originated the role, and I know people who absolutely adore him because he's crass, he is scathingly sarcastic, and they just love that about him. That was the one thing I didn't like about him.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm sarcastic, too, but even I have my limits. Right. Bob Bailey, I think, really is what saved the show. Yeah. And then Bob Reddick, who took it first when it transitioned to New York, he tried very hard to emulate Bob Bailey to keep the audience.
4: Right. He didn't last long.
3: No. No. He was a former child star actor. Bob Reddick from what? I don't I didn't catch that.
4: I don't
6: remember. I do know that his father, Frank, was the original voice of the Shadow. Oh, sweet. And when Orson Welles began that, Frank Reddick still had to come in and do the laugh for the opening because Welles couldn't do it right.
3: Right. So the quote I had here was, um, after six months, Reddick was replaced by Mandel Kramer, who gave the role his own low-key interpretation. Many fans found Mandel Kramer second only to Bailey as the most effective Johnny Dollar. So that's why I got that quote in my head from that particular thing. Like I said, I'm going to have to go back and listen to them because generally I often listen to, you know, the Bob Bailey ones as, as the most, because they're, they're like, again, they're the, the ones that people like to replay the most. So you'll find them the easier ones to find. kind
6: of. Yeah. Kramer was very smooth.
4: But you know who the original one they wanted was, don't you?
3: Dick Powell. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Richard Richard Diamond. But he
4: uh, he left to go make Rogue's Gallery, and then, uh, what is it, Richard Diamond? Is that yeah, what he is? did
3: the pilot, too, didn't he? Yeah,
4: yeah. Yes. yeah. But Rogue's Gallery, which I'm going to bring that rogues gallery to the show oh that'd be great because i have to and bob because, yeah, bailey because... was
6: actually the voice of milfred brooks the third in the pilot episode i can't remember though the one that aired or the one that dick powell was auditioning in
3: he was also famous for let george do it too wasn't he bob bailey Didn't yes he do yes of let george do it that's where they pulled him from as well so many neat shows at the time yeah so
4: we touched on it a little bit but i just want to jump Jump in so that we can we won't make this show be four hours long, <laughs> <laughs> which is easy for us to do as any of our listeners know. so just quickly, what do you guys think of the Johnny Dollar series? Just where do you rate it up there with your uh, with your all time old time radio shows? Sharon, why don't you start us off
6: it it's actually my top. I think it it outdoes all the others because the others follow an ordinary format that is very typical noir. It begins with the monologue, and then you segue into the action. You have the Dippy secretary who's taking notes. Johnny Dollar breaks through all of those formats. And I find it fascinating because it's the expense account. He's rattling off and He's talking about airfares to here and there, and I'm laughing myself silly, thinking, oh, if only. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's a wonderful window into the past that you don't really get with other series.
4: Right. How about you, Jack?
3: Uh, For me, yeah, it's in the top five. I was thinking, you know... There's gunsmoke, there's suspense, and there's Johnny Dollar, and there's like <laughs> there's there's hard to find things that have considered the same level of quality um consistently throughout the whole thing than than those three at the top level. There's of course there's there's other shows that I adore as I love so many of them, but yeah, that's I and I'm always fascinated because he is the 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 insurance uh, a private insurance agent he's not like a private detective and this entire show without going into it basically has next to nothing to do with his job it's completely aside from his job his job is done before everything starts going kind of thing so
4: i know that's one of the reasons why i picked it i
3: I love it i love and i love the fact that like as as sharon points out like the whole expense accounts is an opportunity to do a little bit of a recap. They they have another trick that they do with recaps which we'll get into as well, but I I'd love the formatting for that because it allows you to like slide into the story pretty quickly.
4: Yeah, and and real quickly too with the Johnny Dollar character in his background is he was he was a marine for 4 years, I'm assuming in World War 2, mm-hmm. and then he became a police officer. And then for a little short time, he was a Pinkerton detective, and then he went out on his own as a freelancer.
6: Yeah, they actually go through um, Henry J. Unger matter when he's taking the stand, and he has to give his resume. Oh, cool. Yeah, I
5: didn't know that any of that. I'll have to go look for that I one.
4: didn't know it either, so I like, did some research, so that's cool. How about you, Lothar? What do you think of Johnny Dollar...
5: It's interesting in that I'm not as familiar with Johnny Dollar. It, if it comes on, you know, boxcars, I'll listen to it, um, various other things. But it, it is interesting because, like Sharon said, it doesn't follow the standard hard-boiled approach. Um, it has very little noir is the way that um, we've been just defining it this uh, season. There's very little darkness, even though I think that there is some metatextual stuff we can talk about on the other side that's uh, pretty dark in a interesting sort of way uh, for this particular episode. I love the production values, I love the quality of the show, I love the very unique and almost surreal way he does the expense, you know, reports, and how that is the conceit of getting the narrative across, especially because it is so bizarre that anyone would ever write out a narrative expense report this way. Um, so it already creates this almost like otherworldly sort of fun feel to it if anybody's had to do an expense report. And I'm sure that was even, you know, more uh, you know restrictive back then when it's like just the you know, facts. But um, I I wish
6: expense reports were like that because I was the bookkeeper for many yeah, years. Yeah, exactly. It'd be very, it be
5: a lot more fun. Um, but what's it's interesting like, is I find the to me. I find the show to be uh, one of those interesting, almost like odd detective shows, kind of in the same category as Box Thirteen or um, Nightbeat, where it's not quite what you would expect. So I want to I wanna listen more. I like the serial format. When we were talking about different people, I've only heard Bob Bailey because, like Jack said, that's pretty much all they replay is the Bob Bailey episode. So I would need to sort of, you know, go onto the Internet Archive and specifically download and do a bunch of research. So maybe I'll do that after this, uh, after this uh, recording session's done.
3: Kind of reminds me a bit of Casey Crime Photographer too. that way, where it's sort of outside of the, the normal uh, profession you expect.
4: It's interesting. It's different. And one of the reasons why I picked this particular episode for us to do is because this is even different, I think, in terms of Johnny Dollar episode, the way they do it. Because like Jack said, and this is not giving anything away because it happens right away, is, you know, the crime is not the crime. Well... The case is solved before he even gets there, but he stays for other reasons. So I just thought it was cool, and I also thought it brought out his humanity and even more uh, than usual, and that's why I chose it, other than I thought it was an excellent show. So anything else to say before we dive into the show?
3: I'm ready for it. Let's do this. I'm ready. (laughs) Let's listen.
4: All right, we're ready. So now starring uh, Bob Bailey and yours true Johnny Dollar, it's the Plantagenet matter from March 5th through 9th, 1956, which aired on CBS. Enjoy it, and we'll talk to you on the other side.
8: From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar.
0: This is Mr. Costello at the Plantagenet Hotel in Vicksburg, Virginia. You left word? Oh, yes, Mr. Costello. I'm acting for Eastern Seaboard Casualty Insurance. You know, investigation. Oh? I understand you had a burglary down there.
7: We sure did, Mr. Dollar.
0: Well, the main reason I wanted to talk to you, Mr. Costello, was to let you know I'm getting the first plane out of Hartford as soon as the weather clears.
7: Uh, You're coming here to Vicksburg?
0: Yes, that's right. Eastern Seaboard Casualties asked me to investigate the burglary for them.
7: Good. Then I'll expect you when I see you.
0: And I'll be there.
8: (laughs) Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
0: (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Chief Accountant, Eastern Seaboard Casualty Insurance Company, Providence, Rhode Island. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the plant agent matter. Expense account item one: two dollars cab fare, my apartment to the Hartford Airport. Item two: one hundred seventy-three dollars, one airline ticket from Hartford to Vicksburg, Virginia, and back again. We took off in ten below zero weather about one-thirty in the afternoon. By five o'clock, we circled into Vicksburg for a landing. Item three, five dollars, cab fare, to the Plantation Hotel, three miles outside of town. A pleasant, spacious, gentle old building set back among the wintry trees. Fifteen minutes after checking in, Mr. Costello appeared, wrung my hand, and reported that the Vicksburg police had apprehended the burglar who had rifled the hotel safe the night before. All of the loot had been recovered. As a matter of form, I spent two hours with the police itemizing the stolen property, which was all intact. Then I returned to the hotel, assured Mr. Costello that everything would be all right, and got busy trying to make return reservations for Hartford. Now, the rest of this report is by way of apology for my tardiness in submitting the expense account. In between phone calls to the airport, I went downstairs to the bar for a drink and then stepped outside for a walk and a breath of fresh air. In the back of the parking lot behind the hotel, a blonde woman, about 30, in a green suit, was talking to a tall, typically dark man who had his back to me. They were arguing about something. As I walked past them, I couldn't help hearing too well.
9: Please, please help me. Are you talking to me? Yes, please.
1: On your way, mister. This is private. You hear me? Just keep your hands to yourself, bud. Well, keep rolling, then. We're having a little argument, private. Please,
9: please, I don't know who you are, but I'm... Shut up.
1: She's uh, had a little too much to drink, mister, that's all. Oh, that's all? Well, it doesn't look that way to me... Now, what's this all about? I just told you, nosy. She's had a little too much to drink. Now, go on. but Wait. Get on your way. Wait a minute. I told you to keep your hands to yourself. Yeah. Honey,
0: oh, no. <laughs> yeah.
7: no. no. no.
1: no. you want to keep it up? You hear me? Yes. I hear you. And I... I'll let it go this time, mister. Just this once. Do you want to have
0: him hauled in, miss?
9: Oh, no. No, that's all right.
0: It's all right.
1: Okay, then, okay. Come on, beat it, you. Now, listen, Beat it, it, I said. She's tired of you and so am I. Go on, beat it. Okay. Just remember, Amy, I was only trying to talk some sense into you. So long, hero.
9: Thanks. Thank you very much. That was awfully kind of okay, you. Okay, did he I... hurt you? Yes. Where it hurts the most, I guess. I'll never get accustomed to being disappointed in people.
0: Oh well, he didn't look like your type, anyhow. So why don't you just... Forget? Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, hey, look now.
9: This is just the end of everything. Everything. Yeah,
0: I, I know. Well, maybe it looks that way, but but maybe it isn't.
9: I'm sorry. I'm very sorry to have caused you all this trouble. Well, that's okay look rather cheap and dingy. I mean, I don't know what I mean.
0: Well, look, uh, let me ask you something. Did you really have too much to drink tonight?
9: No. No, I only had one drink with
0: him. All right, then maybe you'll let me buy you one. How about it? You're very kind. You look like you should be with someone for a little while right now. So what do you say? How about it?
9: You're a very kind man.
0: that's the way it began, in the parking lot outside of the Plantagen Hotel in Vicksburg, Virginia. She trembled a little when I led her back inside, to the warmth of the bar and the people, and sat her down at a booth. Looking back on it now, I guess we had a rather strained, one-sided conversation. She did all the listening and seemed preoccupied with her problems, whatever they were. Even though I'm not the greatest wit in the world, I did manage to get a faint smile out of her. It was a nice smile, from a warm, frank mouth. Item four, two drinks for us. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. Hey, see there? Next thing you know, you'll be telling me a joke. Oh, that reminds me. That reminds me of another one. It's, uh, it's one of the oldest and most respected jokes in the country. You've probably heard it a thousand times. It seems ten men were standing in the rain under an umbrella, and none of them got wet. Well, just about then, a fellow walked up. You...
9: You've been very, very kind to me. Thank you again.
0: Well, I'm... I'm glad you feel better. Miss, uh...
9: Are you, uh, from here in Vicksburg?
0: No, my home's in Hartford, Connecticut. I flew down here this afternoon on business. I'm waiting for a flight out.
9: Oh. What's your name? Johnny Dollar. Thank you again, Johnny Dollar. Hmm? Thank you for not asking me my name. For not asking me about the man in the parking lot. For not asking me to explain what my trouble is. Thank you, Mr. Dollar. And thank you for sitting here with me this little while and trying to make me laugh. Hmm.
0: You really feel all right now, huh?
9: Yes, I think so.
0: God, that's swell. Because I wouldn't want to let you go if I thought you were going to step outside and start crying again.
9: No. No, I won't do that, I promise. You
0: sure? Positive. Okay. Ah, you want one more for the road?
9: Oh, thank you, but I'd better not, Mr. Dollar. I really should be getting home.
0: Well, uh... Will everything be all right at home?
9: What? Oh. Oh, yes. He wasn't my husband or my boyfriend, even. He won't bother
0: me. Okay, then. Here, let me help you on with your coat. Thank you. There you are. Do you have a car?
9: No, I'll get a cab. There's always one out in front.
0: Good, I'll help you. Say, uh, look, I'm going to tell you something. I'm staying here in Vicksburg at the Plantagent, and I doubt if I'll be able to get a plane out tonight. Probably not until tomorrow sometime. So, look, if you need me for any reason at all, why don't you just call me, okay? Yes. Thank you. Good. Cam, taxi! You're still worried about him, aren't you?
9: Why do you say that?
0: The way you looked around when we stepped outside here just now. Would you like me to see you home?
9: Oh, no. no, thank you. You've done enough already. And about him, I made a mistake, that's all.
0: Ah, oh, we all make mistakes, so forget about it.
9: Well, I'm afraid this one can't be corrected very easily. But here's my cab. Good night, Mr. Dollar. Good night. You and I will probably never meet again. But I shan't forget your kindness. Thank you.
0: Okay, good night,
9: Downtown, please. I hope you have a nice trip home, Mr. Dollar.
0: Hey, whoa, driver, hold it. Hey, anything wrong? What is it?
9: I don't know. I have the strangest feeling. Wait a minute, driver.
0: Hey, look. do you feel all right? You're shivering.
9: Yes, I... I know I... Oh, it hurts.
0: what, What hurts? It
9: hurts. I didn't think he... What what is
0: it? What can I do?
9: Help me. Please, Mr. Dollar. Help me.
0: Let's go, driver. She fell back across the seat of the cab, writhing with pain. I took her in my arms and tried to find out what it was, but by that time, she wasn't able to speak. In another ten seconds, she was unconscious. The cab driver delivered us to an emergency hospital five minutes later. They carried her in through the ambulance entrance. I let the driver go and waited around the desk to see if I could learn what happened. Just waited.
9: Vicksburg emergency. Waited. One moment, please. Go ahead, please. Vicksburg emergency. Not at this time of the night, sir. You'll have to call first thing in the morning. I'd suggest any time after 7.30. Yes, sir. Yes?
0: Hey, uh, look, would it be all right to go back and talk to the doctor now?
9: I'm afraid not, sir.
0: Well, could you bring him out here? I've been waiting for quite... I'm
9: sure he'll be out in a very short while. He knows you're waiting to talk with him.
0: I thought maybe he forgot me. No, sir. I just want to make sure she's all right.
9: The doctor will be out. Vicksburg emergency. Just a moment, I'll connect you. Go ahead, please. Has she had many of these attacks, sir?
0: Hmm. Oh, uh, I, I don't know. I just met her.
9: Oh. Well, if you'd like, we could call you at home and let you know how she is.
0: This isn't my home. I'm on my way out of town as soon as I can get a plane. I'll wait.
9: Certainly. Excuse me. Yes, doctor. Yes, he's right here. Yes, sir, thank you. The doctor will see you now, sir. Good, thanks. End of the hall, room 111.
0: Okay, thank you. I don't know what it was or why that hallway looked so long to me. Call it an old-fashioned premonition or what have you. That's what I had walking down the hall to see a doctor about a girl I'd known only a few minutes. There were three people in the room: two doctors in their white clothes and a nurse. I can still see the light burning above their heads. The way they looked tired, exhausted. All three of them had been working very hard. Doctor.
7: Yes. Oh. Uh... You're the man who was with her. Yeah, that's right. How is she? When did this happen? About
0: a half hour ago. I put her in a cab at the Plantagen Hotel, and she complained of feeling sick. So I brought her here, but she lost consciousness in the cab. I see. Sit down, please. Oh, why? Some papers we want you to fill out, just routine. Oh. Your name, please? Johnny Dollar. And she is Mrs. Dollar? No. Oh, I see. Uh, you're a friend of hers, Mr. Dollar. but yes. Look. What is it, Doctor? What's the matter with her? I can't exactly tell you that right now, Mr. Dollar. What? Well, now, wait a minute. Why can't you... We have to contact
7: her family first, Mr. Dollar. This girl is dead. Now, if you're willing to...
0: Picture it. Yourself in my position, I mean. I'd known the girl only a few minutes. I didn't even know her name. Yet somehow I'd become closely involved with her. Too much so, I guess. All I knew about her was that she was someone who had died while asking me to help her. Under the circumstances, what would you do?
8: Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's exciting episode of this week's story. Tomorrow... How can you help a dead girl? Somebody had to help her. And guess who?
0: Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
8: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey... is transcribed in Hollywood, written by John Dawson... It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking. It's time now for. Johnny Dollar.
10: Are you the Mr. Dollar from Hartford?
0: That's right. Who's this?
10: Jim Aikens, Vicksburg Police Department. I'm sending a car over to pick you up, Mr. Dollar. Some questions I want to ask you about that young lady you were with last night. I hope you weren't planning on leaving town.
0: Of course I wasn't. I canceled my plane reservations last night. You tell me where you're located, I'll come down by myself.
10: No sense getting head up. You aren't in your own backyard now, you know, darling. I know where
0: I am. The town where a girl died in my arms. If you can stop getting lazy with me for a minute, maybe you can tell me who she was. Why? Because I'd like to talk to her family. I was the last one to see her alive. Who is she?
10: We haven't identified her yet. To
8: us, she's still Jane Doe. Night and every weekday night. Bob Bailey in The Transcribed Adventures of the Man with the Action-Packed Expense Account. America's Fabulous Freelance Insurance Investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
0: <laughs> expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Vicksburg, Virginia, to <laughs> to Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Plantagen matter. A real mystery about a very mysterious girl who happened to be dead. Expense account item five, ten cents, one morning newspaper, which carried a two-inch story and a half-inch space about an unidentified girl who had died at Vicksburg Emergency Hospital the previous evening. I was reading it over in the lobby of the Plantagen Hotel when one of the Vicksburg police force stepped up to the desk and asked for my room number. He was a swarthy man in a black suit, plain clothes type.
10: Well? I beg pardon? I'm Johnny Dollar. Oh. Jim Akins. We talked on the phone a little while ago. You said you were
0: sending a car.
10: Well, you sounded so huffy about everything, I thought I'd drop over myself to say hello. I got the car outside. Okay, okay, let's go then. Where are you from, Dollar?
0: Hartford, Connecticut.
10: I'm an insurance investigator
0: Look, I talked to a man in your burglary division yesterday... about the burglary they had at the hotel yesterday. I was sent down here by Eastern Seaboard Casualty
10: Insurance Company. You got any identification on you? Yeah, sure. Here. Okay. Look like who you say you are. Now, just what was your connection with that girl who died at the emergency
0: hospital? I met her outside in the parking lot last night, back at this hotel. She was with a man. I don't know who he was. They were having an argument... I stopped when she asked me to help her. I, uh, I got rid of the man and took her inside here and bought her a drink. Then I started to put her in a cab to send her home. But she got sick before the cab could take off, so I took her to the hospital. She died there. And that, Mr. Aikens, is it.
10: How long did you know her? About a half hour, i told. her. She didn't tell you her name? No. Where she lived? No. Hmm. The name of this man she was with in the parking lot, who was he? I haven't the slightest idea. Well... What kind of trouble was she having with him? She didn't tell me that either. I didn't ask her. But you sat in the cocktail lounge over there and you had a drink or two. One. One. No name, no address, no nothing. Well, maybe we better do all our talking downtown.
0: Anything you say, Aikens. Let's go. Aikens turned out to be a lieutenant and it took him the whole ride downtown to thaw out and make up his mind that I was just as concerned about what had happened to the unidentified girl as he was. He rephrased but asked me the same questions in front of a stenographer when we got down to his office. He was still asking me questions when he led me and the police stenographer to the basement of the building, the morgue.
10: And she didn't say anything to you about herself before she collapsed, huh?
0: no. All I know is what I've told you. You're sure? Positive. That? Hey, look, let me ask you one. I've put up with yours for over an hour now. <laughs> Why, well, sure. What killed her? Yeah. Well, do you know? No, we're still trying to find out. What did you talk about while you were having that drink with her? She asked me for help, that's all. It seems she needed somebody else to do the talking at the time, so I did it. I made jokes and tried to get her to laugh. I was a great big cut-up. Get sawed me if
10: you want to. It won't do much good. Still got some things to find out. Yeah. Lousy, ain't it?
0: It sure is.
10: This is the girl you were with last night. Yes. You're positive? I'm positive. Okay, Dolly, you want to sign this for the records? Why not? That's good. All right, Sam, you can send this on upstairs. We'll be up pretty soon. Now, Dollar, did anyone there at the hotel bar seem to know her? I don't know. Cocktail waitress, somebody like that? I don't know. Well, I do. We asked around no knowing that, ever seen in the Plantagen Hotel before. Tell me something, Dollar. You ever worked on one like this?
0: No, not quite.
10: Okay, then. I'm going to tell you what we're up against. All the clothes she was wearing was standard brand stuff. Mostly come from stores downtown, some of them New York. It's going to take us a long time to check them out. We may not be able to trace them at all. We're going to work on the cleaning marks, too, and that'll take time. Now, from what you say and from what she said, and that wasn't much, she's probably a local girl. Somebody's wondering about her, but nobody come in and make out a report asking for her. I hate to do it. I might have to take a picture, run it in tonight's paper, just to find out who she is. That could be pretty lousy for somebody. It's a lousy business. I thought you could help me, Dollar. How? Well, two things. One that bird she was with, he was arguing with out in the parking lot, you say. That meant he must have had a car out there. But you didn't bother to take a look at it. No, no, I didn't. And another thing now, where's her purse? I don't know. Well, she must have powdered her nose when she sat down to have that drink with you. Every woman does. She must have reached for a cigarette or something in that purse. So where is that purse? I don't know. Well, now, you see? You see how much help you are to me? Oh, just a second. Morg, Lieutenant Aikens. Oh, yeah, put them
0: on. While Lieutenant Akins talked on the telephone, I lit a cigarette. After that, I tried to interest myself in a calendar that was hanging on the wall. After that, I tried tying both shoelaces. But wherever my eyes roved around that white-tiled room, somehow they always came back to rest on the quiet, still form of the girl who'd asked me for help. By any standard, she was attractive. Fine, golden hair spun out of smooth white skin. I remember her eyes had been very big and very brown. Now they were closed. But she looked more asleep than than what she was. She looked as though she might wake up any minute and answer me if I said out loud what I was saying to myself silently. How can I help you?
10: Let's get out of here, Dollar.
0: (sighs) Okay by me.
10: That was the lab on the phone Had a little trouble with analysis What analysis? What kind of trouble? Identifying They called in a toxicologist from the university A drug called perimithal killed her Perimithal? That's a new one on me Yeah, me too Petrol-based stuff Now they figured it'd been in her stomach an hour or so Before she collapsed Could be a suicide judging from the way she acted And talked to you
0: what about the boyfriend?
10: Well, that seems to fit in okay. Told you she was disappointed in him, didn't she? Well, sometimes women want to end it all in front of a guy they're having trouble with. It'll probably turn out that Oh, way. you talk like a cop, Akins. That's what I Everything's am. Everything's so simple. Make it fit into your formula.
0: This girl knocked herself off because she lost her boyfriend. This girl killed herself because she lost a job. Fill it in, fill it in. Give it off the whoa, books. Whoa,
10: Badala, whoa. What's the matter with you? What are you getting at?
0: Oh.
10: Oh, I don't. Forget it, will you, Lieutenant? No, now, wait a minute. Wait just a minute. I'm not all cop, Dollar. I saw her laying there, too. And I can see she was a nice girl. Something went awful wrong with her. If I'd been the last one to be with her and talk to her why I'd probably be taking it the same way you are. But take it easy. Sorry, Lieutenant. I'll buy you some breakfast. He did,
0: but it didn't help much. And after that, we shook hands and parted. Expense account item six, two dollars. Cab fare back to the Plantagen Hotel. I went up to my room, packed my bags, called the airport and made arrangements to leave on the six o'clock plane. There was nothing more I could do about the case. Nothing more at all. It was police business. I had time before the plane for a quiet drink at the hotel bar.
11: What's your pleasure, sir?
0: Oh, some of that little water. Yes, sir. You, uh... You on duty last night by any chance?
11: Uh, yes, sir. Why you ask?
0: I just wondered if you happen to remember me. No, sir. Uh, were you at the bar? At that table over there with a the lady, a blonde girl in a green suit.
1: Well, I'm sorry. I just don't remember. Well, here you go. Thanks. Here. Keep the change. Well, thank you, sir. Now, I probably waited
10: on you, but, well, so many people, you know. Yeah, sure. Uh, why you
0: ask? The lady lost her purse. Thought maybe it might have been turned in here. No, sir.
10: We didn't get any purses last night. Uh, a couple of money clips is all. <laughs> uh, not much in them either. Mm hmm. Uh. You're talking about the lady who died later on, ain't you, sir?
0: Yeah. Yeah,
10: I am. Uh, police officers was in here asking the same questions. I thought they would be. You, uh, policeman, too? No, I was a friend of hers. Oh. Well, uh, then you should call the police. They're still trying to find out her name.
0: So am I. Hmm?
11: Well, I thought you
0: said she was a friend of yours. I didn't happen to know her name. It didn't seem important to ask it last night. I just don't understand. (sighs) I can tell you one thing. I might have saved her life if I'd asked her name. And some other things. Oh. Yes, sure. Sure expense account item seven three dollars three drinks i sat there for almost an hour talking to the bartender once when he stepped out to the kitchen i went over to the booth where i'd sat the night before with the unidentified dead girl i searched down on the cushions behind the table under the chairs hoping the missing purse might still be around i found nothing then i had another idea i left went out to the parking lot where i'd first seen her
10: car, mister? No,
0: I don't have one. Oh, well... Hey, look, uh, last night I was out here with a lady. I, I met her and a man here in the parking lot, uh, about over there where that Chevy is.
10: Uh-huh. So what? Well,
0: the lady lost her purse last night. I just wondered if it, it might have been lost out here someplace.
10: Well, it might have been. Nobody turned anything into me. Want to take a look? Sure, good. All right. About what time last night? Oh,
0: around 10, maybe a few minutes after.
10: Uh-huh. A lot of cars in and around that time of night. Did you look last night? Oh,
0: I didn't know it was missing until this morning. Oh.
10: About here, you say, huh? Here's the Chevy. Yeah. Well, let's take a look.
0: Yeah, make it a good look.
10: Yeah. Well, hey, I think you're in luck. Huh? Yeah, yeah, here's a purse. (laughs) Hey, you're in real luck. Is that hers?
0: It was hers, all right. A green suede purse, the same color as the green suit she'd been wearing. It still carried the faint sweet odor of her perfume as I remembered it. I looked inside, but there was nothing to tell me her name. Lipstick, comb, a $10 bill, and some small change. And one other item. A thirty-two automatic, recently fired.
8: Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow... A dead girl's 38 automatic comes to life. Join us, won't you?
0: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
8: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood, written by John Dawson. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure and join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking. Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar.
9: This is the hotel operator. Ready with your call, Mr. Dollar. Oh,
0: good.
7: Police department, Sergeant Peters.
0: I want to talk to somebody in the personnel division.
7: Uh, Sorry, I haven't got one. What can I do for you?
0: I want to get some information about a gun, find out who it was licensed to and so on.
7: Come down to licensing division. I think we can help you there. Where's that? 220 City Hall. Do you have the weapon? Uh, yes. Be sure and bring it along with you.
8: Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
0: (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to... Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, for personal reasons. Location, Vicksburg, Virginia. Purpose? Well, it all started as an investigation of a burglary at the Plantagen Hotel. Once that was out of the way, I happened to run across a girl having an argument with a man in the hotel parking lot. She asked me to help her. I did. The girl suddenly gets sick and dies. Poison. I stay around to help find out who she is. I don't know that. But I do know that she had a 38 in her purse. Three bullets recently fired. Expense account item eight, $2, cab fare, from the Plantagen Hotel to two miles into Vicksburg City Hall and room 220 as per instructions of Sergeant Peters. I felt more than a little guilty bypassing Lieutenant Jim Aikens, who had questioned me earlier about the case. Yes? Sergeant Peters? That's right. Can I help you, sir? I hope so. I'd like to know if this gun's been registered with you people. Let's have a look. You just buy it? Uh, yeah. Got your bill of sale with you? Well, do you have to have one?
7: You should. Who'd you buy it from? Oh, a fellow I met in a bar. Have you a permit to carry this weapon?
0: Well, no, I haven't. Are you going to carry it? Oh, no, no, no. Then why'd you buy it? Oh, I just wanted it, that's all. Is there a law against that? No, no.
7: But there's a law against practically every other thing about a gun. You want to read those numbers off to me?
0: Sure j j j 4769992 And then there's an X. Okay.
7: Make, Colt, caliber, thirty-eight, automatic, 7-shot. Yeah. Here, you'll have to fill this out. Pencil's over there. This will take a minute for me to check.
0: It took 15 minutes. In the meantime, I filled out the form, which notified the Vicksburg police that I was in possession of the above-described weapon, that I did not wish to apply for a permit to carry it, and so forth and so forth. After that, I stood around and smoked a cigarette and wondered if I should step downstairs and tell Lieutenant Jim Aikens that I had found Jane Doe's purse and the gun. But before I had time to make up my mind...
7: Here we go. The gun was purchased in 1950 by the Piedmont Banking Service. That's a local armored truck outfit over on Maple Street. The gun was permitted for carrying to Raymond W. O'Connell, 232 Polk Street, this city.
0: Thanks. Raymond O'Connell?
7: Yeah. Anything else?
0: Well, that's all. Thanks. That was when I could have, but didn't, walk downstairs to Lieutenant Aiken's office. Instead, I walked outside with a gun in my pocket and the slip of paper containing the name and address of the man who had carried it, Raymond O'Connell. Expense account item nine, $25. Deposit on a rented car to get me to 232 Polk Street.
2: Oh, Paul, darling, you're early. I'm hardly ready.
1: Hello. Oh.
2: I was expecting someone else. I'm so sorry. You're not Paul, are you? No,
0: I'm afraid not. My name is Johnny Dollar.
2: Oh. Mr. Dollar? That's right. Well, what can I do for you, Mr. Dollar?
0: I'm looking for Raymond O'Connell. Ray? Yes.
2: Come inside, Mr. Dollar. Thank you. I really didn't mean to throw myself at you at the door. I thought you were someone else I'm expecting. Uh, I'm Terry. Terry? Teresa. Terry O'Connell, Mr. Dollar.
0: Oh, his wife?
2: I'm Ray's widow. What? Ray's dead, Mr. Dollar. He passed away over a year ago. It was pneumonia.
0: Oh, I'm sorry, Mrs. O'Connell. Oh,
2: please call me Terry. You had no way of knowing about him, I'm sure. And please don't be uncomfortable. A great many of Ray's friends from the service come by who have no idea that he's dead. Were you in his company too? Oh,
0: just a minute, Mrs. O'Connell. I he think you He had you're... so
2: many friends and met so many people while he was in the service, and really, there was no way for you to you know. You don't
0: understand, Mrs. O'Connell. I never knew. I'll get your
2: drink and we'll talk. Where did you serve with Ray? You know, he finally became a pilot. What do you like to drink?
0: She was young and dark and very pretty. And as the widow of a man who died rather suddenly, she was doing her best to put me at my ease. I would have told her I was there, checking out the registration on a thirty-eight that had been used by her dead husband. I would have told her I found a gun in the purse of an unidentified dead girl I'd met the night before. But she was trying to be polite, mistaking me for a friend of her dead husband. And then I saw the picture in the frame on the mantel. A broad smiling face that belonged to a man I'd met in the parking lot of the Plantagen Hotel... An unidentified man who had been arguing with the dead girl. The words on the picture said, To Terry, all my love.
2: You know him? Paul? Paul? Yes, Paul Dameron.
0: I think I met him once. I really didn't know his name. Was he a friend of your husband, of Ray's?
2: Oh, no. No, he never knew Ray. He's a darling, Mr. Dollar. Paul is. A real darling. After Ray died, I tried something very foolish. I tried to end my life. And then Paul came into it. He's been very lovely to me. We're... Well, I don't know why I shouldn't tell you. We're going to be married.
0: I think that's fine, Terry.
2: Do you really? Sure. I'm glad you say that. I'm not the most courageous person in the world. I suppose Ray mentioned our lives together. It was perfect with Ray, Mister Dollar, perfect. But now Ray's gone, and I've been able to face that. I think I'm going to find a new life with Paul. You must meet him; he'll be here soon. We're dining out tonight. Well, perhaps you will join us.
0: Well, thank you, Missus O'Connell, but I I can't make it tonight.
2: How long will you be in Vicksburg?
0: I don't know exactly.
2: Where are you staying?
0: The Plantagenet Hotel.
2: Well, perhaps I could give you a ring and we could make it another night. I know you want to talk about Ray. Of course, Paul understands.
0: I'm sure he does.
2: He's truly a wonderful person.
0: He hadn't looked very wonderful the night before, standing in the parking lot arguing with a girl who had died. But then that was my side of the picture, and it wasn't complete. And somebody still had to explain the thirty-eight with the three bullets missing. I left Terry O'Connell, went outside and bought an evening paper and then sat in my rented car reading it. The photographer at the morgue had done a good job. The unidentified girl's picture was on page one. I was reading the story over a second time when a dark business coupe pulled up behind me and Paul Dameron got out, heading for Terry O'Connell's doorway. Just a minute.
1: What? Just a minute. Hello, Paul. What? You. Yeah, me. Now look, Dameron. What are you doing here? How'd you know my name? Or are you some professional gunsel coming around to sock me again?
0: I still oh, don't... Stop know. stop it, will you, Dameron? My name's Johnny Dollar. I want you to tell me who that girl was last night in the parking lot. The one you had the big argument with.
1: Huh? Oh. Well, you were the big hero there, butting in where it was none of your business. I didn't like it then, and All I... All right,
0: simmer down, will you? Who was she? Come on, what's her
1: name? What's it to you? Well, Dameron... Uh, okay, okay. It's Amy. Amy Duran. Amy Duran. Yeah. We work at the same office. Now, look, Buster, I'm not afraid of you, but I... I don't want any trouble, see? So if you'll just go somewhere else and Wait a minute,
0: will you? How does Amy Duran tie in with Teresa O'Connell?
1: Look, I don't know who you are or what you're after, but you've certainly got your nerve about... Answer me, Paul. Okay, okay. Terry is Amy's sister. Satisfied? I don't know. Who are you, anyhow? A policeman or something? My
0: name is Johnny Dollar. I'm here because of Because if
1: you aren't, I want to know what right you have to ask me all these questions. Cool off, will you? I've been trying to find out who she is. Because
0: last night, after you went off, we had a drink together. Then she got sick and I took her to a hospital. She died there. What? She died. She's lying in the morgue right now, unidentified. It was some kind of poison that killed her.
1: Amy, dead?
0: No, I don't believe it. Here. It's in the paper tonight. The police are trying to identify her right now.
1: I I can't believe it. Poison. Oh, Dollar, I I didn't think Amy was that desperate. There was a way out. She could have solved it without this. Way out of what? It. There was no need for her to do this. I told her I'd help her. I had no idea she... Poison. Does Terry know? Not yet. I've got to tell her before she sees it like this in the newspaper. It'll be awful for a dollar, awful. Look, I apologize for the way I've acted. The way I was last night, I... I was upset. I can see now you're trying to help. Now, let me go in and break this to Terry. Call me later. Here. My card. Call me.
0: I had to admit that Paul Dameron's concern seemed as genuine as his surprise. He rushed up to be admitted to the O'Connell house. After he was inside the door, I went back to my car and took out the 38 automatic that had led me to the sister of Amy O'Connell. Three bullets still missing. I drove downtown to the Vicksburg police station to turn the gun into Lieutenant Akins and tell him the whole story as I knew it. How I'd found the gun in the dead girl's purse, how I'd managed to find out her name. The three missing bullets and other unanswered questions were up to the police.
10: Yeah. In the car. Yes. Yeah, well, I, I... Oh, hi, Dollar. Thought you'd left town. Joe? All right, Joe. As soon as they clear that place up, you notify the lad.
0: Hi, Lieutenant. All I'm right. trying to get to you. I think I have something that better be looked into. Oh, really?
10: Oh, excuse me. Lieutenant Aikens. Yeah. yeah. Yeah? Yeah, Well, in about 15 minutes. Right. I'm sorry, Dollar. What was it you were saying? Why all the hustle? Something big? Oh, homicide. Happened yesterday sometime. Yeah? Who got it? A guy named Belden. Somebody shot him three times with a thirty-eight.
8: Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, information about the gun that blows the whole case sky high.
0: Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
8: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Hollywood. It's time now for Johnny Dollar.
11: This is Mr. Oldfield calling, sir. You left word at my office, Mr. Dollar. That's right,
0: Mr. Oldfield. I think I'm going to need an attorney.
11: Divorce, civil suit, what, Mr. Dollar?
0: Withholding evidence, murder.
11: Let's take the murder first. Who did it? I don't
0: know, but I'm pretty sure I have the murder weapon in my possession right now. Who
11: was killed? A
0: man named Belden, I think.
11: What do you want me to do, sir?
0: Take my statement, notarize it, give me some legal advice. Where are you? Police station in a pay booth down the hall from Homicide.
11: I'll meet you there in five minutes.
8: Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
0: Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Vicksburg, Virginia, to Special Investigator Johnny Dollar for personal reasons. Attention Chief Accountant, Eastern Seaboard Casualty Insurance Corporation, Providence, Rhode Island, dear Jim. I'm attaching my own expense sheet to your bill for clarification purposes. Expense account item 10, 10 cents. One cup of coffee at the counter in the lobby of the Vicksburg police station while I waited for Samuel W. Oldfield, attorney-at-law, to appear. He was there in exactly five minutes.
11: Mr. Dollar? That's right. Sam Oldfield, sir. You're the only one here in the lobby, so I figured you were the right man. Yeah. Cup of coffee, Mr. Oldfield? No thanks. Gives me heartburn. But now sit down, will you? That was a pretty interesting phone call. Tell me, who are you, sir?
0: Johnny Dollar.
11: I'm a private insurance investigator. Mm-hmm. How'd you get my name? I looked it up in the yellow pages of the telephone directory. You don't live here in Vicksburg? No, I'm from Hartford, Connecticut. All right, sir. Now, tell me about the murder and the withholding of information. <sighs> Maybe I better start from the top. Go right ahead any way you like. Well, two days
0: ago, I flew down here to investigate a small burglary at the Plantagen Hotel. It was already solved by the time my plane got in. Police? Yeah. I had nothing better to do, so I waited around the hotel bar for my return reservation back to Hartford. Then I happened to walk outside to the parking lot for a breath of fresh air. I saw a woman and a man standing there arguing. When I got close to them, the woman asked me to help her. I did. How do you mean? Well, the the man she was with started to act like a kid. He got rough. So I shoved him away. Go on. Well, the woman was upset, so I took her inside the hotel and bought her a drink. After that, I put her in a cab and started to send her on her way. She started to act sick about that. Wait.
11: Is this the woman whose picture was in the paper tonight? The one who died of poisoning and the police don't know who she is?
0: Yeah. I don't know who she is, Mr. Oldfield. Except that her name's Amy Duran. I found out her name because I found her purse and there was a gun in it. A thirty-eight Colt registered to a man named O'Connell. I checked on the gun here at headquarters. Went out to the address and found out O'Connell was a bank guard and had died about a year ago. I talked to his wife, Teresa O'Connell. While I was there, the man I'd seen the night before showed up. His name's Paul Dameron. Now, I didn't tell him or Mrs. O'Connell about the gun. I came down here to give it to the police and tell them. But when I got here, Lieutenant Akins was pretty busy trying to solve the murder of a man named Belden, who'd been shot with a 38 three times. There are three slugs missing from the gun I found.
11: You got a light, sir? Yeah. Here you go. When you uh, found Amy Duran's purse, why didn't you turn it over to the police?
0: Oh, I thought I... Well, somehow I thought maybe I could help the girl. I mean, her last words before she died were, help me. And for
11: some reason or other, I I thought maybe I could. Do you have any cards or letters, anything like that? Something that says you're what you say you are, sir? Yeah, sure. Let's see. Okay, Dollar. Now, as I see it, you probably hooked up with someone who did some shooting. And that's what worries you. I want you to take my statement and notarize it before I turn the gun in. That'll protect you some. If they want to get nasty, they can, though. You know that. Yeah, I know. Well, as I see it, the main job here is to try to keep you out of trouble. And a statement explaining your motive for participation in the whole affair might help. That's why I called you. All right, then. Now... Yeah? You didn't shoot anybody, did you? No. Okay, then, sir. Let's go over to my office.
0: We did, and I made the necessary statement, and Mr. Oldfield notarized it. After that, I went back to the Vicksburg police station to talk to Lieutenant Akins. The 38 i I'd found in Amy Duran's purse was still in my pocket, and her words were still in my mind. Help me. Please help.
10: I thought you was going back
0: to Hartford, Dollar. Oh, I uh, decided to hang around and see what came up.
10: Mm Mm-hmm. Nothing so far on the girl. No one's recognized a picture in the paper. Had to turn that over to missing persons. This murder case gonna eat up all my time.
0: What happened, Lieutenant?
10: Oh, mate at the apartment house where this man Belden was staying found him late this afternoon. He'd been dead about 24 hours, shot with a thirty-eight. You sure? I'm sure. We did a post-mortem right away. It's pretty set case.
0: You, uh, you know who shot him?
10: <laughs> Have a pretty good idea. See, this Belden, he was an auditor working on some books at a firm of textile wholesalers here. Richmond Limited. The papers scattered around his apartment show he'd found a $10,000 shortage going over their books. And the chief accountant for this Richmond company is missing.
0: Yeah, well, that does make it seem pretty clean. Yeah,
10: all we have to do is find that accountant. Had an APB out for half an hour. Now I think we'll pick her up pretty soon.
0: Her? Who?
10: Well, her, Dollar. The chief accountant for Richmond Limited. She's a woman. Name of, uh, Amy Duran.
0: To all appearances, Amy Duran had been guilty of embezzling money and murdering the auditor Belden who discovered the shortages in her books. I didn't tell Akins that his suspect was the girl lying in the morgue at the moment unidentified. I knew that it was only a matter of minutes before her sister or Paul Dameron would be down to identify her. And for the third time, I didn't tell Lieutenant Akins about the gun. I knew if I turned that over to him, it would be a closed case all around. And somehow I didn't want it closed on Amy Duran. Not that way. For that reason, I went back to my hotel room for a couple of hours and... Then about 9 o'clock that night, I found myself over on Polk Street at Teresa O'Connell's house once more. Oh. Hello, Mrs. O'Connell.
2: Oh, uh, Mr. Dollar, isn't it? Yes. Oh, Mr. Dollar, I... I had the most awful news tonight. My sister Amy... She's dead. You'll have to excuse me. I'm sorry. May
0: I come in? I'd like to talk to you about your sister, Mrs. O'Connell.
2: Well, I... I... Paul came in with tonight's paper and showed me Amy's picture. He went down in the morgue to identify I couldn't bear to. Sure. I feel somehow, in some way, that... You're a friend, Mr. Dollar.
0: Mrs. O'Connell, I am a friend in a way. But mostly I'm an insurance investigator.
2: What?
0: You thought I was a friend of your dead husband when I came here earlier. I'm not. I never even knew him. But,
2: Mr. Dollar, I don't understand. I met
0: your sister, Amy, last night. I was the last one to speak to her before she died. I took her to the emergency hospital last night.
2: Oh, wait, wait. This is all very confusing. You say you're an insurance investigator?
0: Yes. Now, when... Well, I got your address from a gun I found in your sister's purse... I traced it through the license to carry. This gun, Mrs. O'Connell. Your husband was licensed to carry it when he worked for a banking firm. Do you recognize it?
2: Oh, yes, I suppose I do. I think it's one of Ray's guns.
0: Now, please, but... please, let me find something out first. Believe me, I do want to help. Did you know your sister had this gun?
2: Oh, no, I... What would Amy want with a gun? I mean, well, she could have picked it up here any time she came over and probably did... But why would Amy have a gun in her purse? Sit down,
0: please. Now, Mrs. O'Connell, you better listen to me carefully. Sometime late yesterday afternoon or early evening, a man named Belden was shot and killed.
2: Clarence Belden? Yes. Why, he worked with an auditing firm. Amy spoke of him. Mr. Dollar... Wait now,
0: wait. Listen to the rest of this. Belden had been working on books for Richmond Limited... As I understand it, your sister Amy was responsible for those books. Right now, the police have enough evidence to figure that your sister stole $10,000 from Richmond Limited.
2: Amy? Oh, no,
0: no, Now, hear me out, Mrs. O'Connell. They have that evidence in bulk form. They certainly have reason to assume, and they are assuming, that your sister shot Belden to keep him quiet about the shortage.
2: How can you say those things about Amy when she's not here to defend herself? Please,
0: please, I'm just telling you what's going on downtown, what they've found. This gun, they don't have yet. I've withheld it. It has been fired three times recently. Belden was shot three times. By now, your sister's body has no doubt been identified. They've already established that she died of poisoning, and they halfway have the idea that she committed suicide. No. Oh, don't you see? They'll say she shot Belden to cover up and keep it quiet, and then saw how useless it was, took poison and killed herself to escape punishment.
2: You're horrible. Horrible. Go away. Go away from me. I'm
0: sorry, but in the face of all this, I want to help her if I can, if it isn't too late. I want to help you. But, Mrs. O'Connell, you'll have to help me. Now, why? Why would your sister steal? Why?
9: I don't know.
2: I
0: think you do know. Tell me, please, for her sake, Mrs. O'Connell.
9: Why?
2: What have you got to do with her? I
0: met her only for a few minutes. But in that few minutes, I got the idea that she was a pretty nice person. She didn't strike me as a thief. She didn't look like a killer. And most of all, she didn't look like a woman who'd take the suicide way out of things. Now, that's all I have, except that she asked me to help her. And I'm trying to do that now. Believe me, I want to help her if I can.
2: I've always been an awful child, Mr. Dollar. When Ray died, I tried to kill myself. Amy saved me. I remember then, at the hospital. She was beside my bed, and she said to me, I'll make you want to live again. I'll make you... Amy was always like that, kind and decent. You weren't wrong about her. She was decent, thoughtful, good. She she did everything for me. She gave me these clothes and a car, introduced me to nice people from her office like Paul, Paul Dameron. Yes. That must be where all the money went to. Not on herself, but on me, for me. I'm the only reason I can think of that she'd take money from the firm. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know she was stealing for me. I didn't know. I wouldn't have let her do it. She didn't have to pamper me that much. I'm not that much of a child. She didn't have to do it. She didn't have to do it. Wait,
0: wait a minute.
2: She didn't kill herself. She didn't steal. She didn't murder that man. I did all those things because it was all for me. <laughs>
8: Now, here's our star to tell you about the final intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, all the evidence comes true. A helpless
0: dead girl gets her help. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny
4: Dollar.
8: From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar.
1: This is Paul Dameron, Mr. Dollar. I was afraid you left town and I wanted to talk to you. Mm-hmm. I wanted to thank you for your kindness about Amy and the way you handled Terry. It was darn decent of you. And of course, I want to apologize for my attitude again. How's Mrs.
0: O'Connell? Was
1: terrible. I mean, the papers this morning connected her sister Amy with murdering Belden and committing suicide. I'm curious. How did you get to her?
0: I found Amy's purse and there was a gun in it. I looked up the registration.
1: Oh, the murder gun.
0: I don't know. I haven't turned it over to the police yet. Why? Because I still can't believe Amy Duran was the kind of girl who'd shoot a man and
8: then take poison. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
0: (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. Location, Vicksburg, Virginia. To Special Investigator Johnny Dollar for personal reasons in connection with the plant agent matter. Expense account item 11, $15, legal fees. For services rendered by lawyer Sam Oldfield.
11: Now, sign here, darling. And here, sir. Okay, I guess that's it. What now, Mr. Oldfield? This statement you've made to me clearly states your intentions in this matter, your motives. You attempted to help a girl who died in your company. You had no idea she might have committed a murder or embezzled $10,000. You withheld evidence, the gun you found in her purse, in the hope of identifying her and saving her family some grief. I hope you don't have to use this stuff. We'll see. I'm going to turn the gun in now, and you're coming with me. It's about time. Hmm? Nothing personal, son. I think you did a lot of dumb things for her. From what they're saying in the papers about her, I don't think she deserted. But then we all make wrong guesses sometimes, I suppose. Ah, let's get this over with. Lawyer Sam
0: Oldfield accompanied me downtown to police headquarters where we sought out Lieutenant Akins and turned over the thirty-eight automatic. Oldfield handed the statement over to him and he read it through. Then he called in his ballistics man to make an immediate check of the gun. When he'd done that, Akins asked Oldfield and myself
10: to wait. He left. An hour later, he came back. You are a lucky boy, Dollar. First off, I'm going to tell you, that gun you've been withholding, that's the same weapon that killed the auditor, Clarence Belden. Okay, now, you played it as safe as you could, and you hired this lawyer to protect you when it came to turning it in. Well, you didn't need him. Huh? Any other time, I'd have put you in the poker so fast, you'd have thought you was born there. This time, I'm feeling generous. You can go, Mr. Oldfield. Me? You. No charges against Mr. Dollar of withholding information? No, not this time. I got my Jane Doe identified. I know a motive for killing the auditor. I know why she took the poison. You generally don't get everything in a neat package like that, so I feel generous. Then let's get out here, Dollar.
11: You get out. I won't talk to Dollar. Then I'll stay. Listen. It's okay, Mr. Oldfield. I'm going to get a lecture as all. Well. Are you sure? Yeah. Call me later, then. Goodbye, Lieutenant.
10: Yeah, One thing more, Dollar. We found an empty bottle of paramythal in Amy Duran's medicine cabinet, and that cinches that suicide part, in case you had any doubts. It's a closed case. Uh Uh-huh. But you didn't help me close it, Dollar, and you could have. You worked with the police for years. You were an officer yourself once. What makes you think you can come down here and run around doing all these things you've done and get away with them? Why don't you turn that gun in with the purse as soon as you found it? All right, I'll tell you, because I... Oh, it doesn't make any
0: difference now, Lieutenant. You've got your case.
10: And you're lucky. Darn lucky boy I don't have you, too. Because you know just as well as I do that. Lieutenant Akins. Okay, right away. Dollar, I got business to take care of. Next time you're in my town, (laughs) you take it easy.
0: I will. But I don't think I'll ever come to your town again. On
10: general principles. Well, I guess I know how you felt about that girl. I'm not going to make any fuss about what you did. But I don't think I'd let it pass a second time. She sure didn't look the part, did she? No, she didn't. Well, yeah, happens that way sometimes. What you told me about that kid's sister of hers... trying suicide and so forth after she lost her husband... Well, Amy Duran had a good motive for stealing that money. If motive can ever be good.
1: Dollar, Lieutenant. Oh? I, uh, I was just on my way to see you, Lieutenant. I'll be back in my office in a couple of minutes. You can go on in and wait, Mr. Dameron. Glad I saw you, Mr. Dollar. I think there's something I should explain to you. You'd be interested in this too, Lieutenant. Mr. Dollar saw me arguing with Amy Duran in a parking lot at the Plant Agent Hotel last night... She just told me about the shortage in accounts. She hadn't told me about killing the auditor. I want you to know that I was racking my brain trying to find a way to get hold of some money to make up the shortage. I was always very fond of Amy. I, uh, wonder, Mr. Deller, if I could give you a check. Huh? Something for your kindness. Nothing, thanks. Well, I... I'd like to. You did something very decent. No. Oh. Well, I suppose you'll be leaving soon. Goodbye, and thanks again. I'll uh, be in your office, Lieutenant. Right.
10: Got to him, too, if it's any comfort.
1: What was that business in the parking
10: lot? Oh, well, I I hit him. He was arguing with her, that's all. No. You weren't the only one trying to help a dollar. Him. And then there was somebody else. Huh? A bank. We found a certified check for $10,000 in Amy Duran's apartment.
11: What?
10: National Trust in New York, issued three days ago. I wired the head cashier in New York. He said Amy Duran phoned him long distance, requested the loan. Seems her folks, when they were alive, had a good pull. At wait, that a minute, bank wait a shop. minute, hold it. Then this isn't right. She could have covered that shortage. Well, I figure she intended to do that, but the auditor found out too quick. He called her on it, and she shot him.
0: With a $10,000 check in her hand?
8: Well...
10: There isn't an auditor or a bonding company going that wouldn't prefer to
0: turn up the cash and the person who took it. They'd listen to any reasonable story. You know that. Well,
10: the auditor must have scared her, Dollar. She shot him, didn't she? She committed suicide, didn't she?
0: You make a lot of noise, Higgins, but you aren't any happier about this than I am, are you?
10: No. Why let the papers have it the way it is? Well, so that whoever knows answer will get careless. Sure, it burns me, somebody thinking the police as dumb as this. Burns me. Well, what are you going to do? Wait. Just wait.
0: I found that pretty hard to do. And the more I waited and the more I thought about the matter, the more restless I felt. So I didn't wait. I got out and started interviewing people who had known the murdered auditor. The consensus was that he knew his business... That if he'd found a shortage and someone offered to reimburse the company, he had been the kind of old hand who would have listened to them. Why, I asked myself, if Amy Duran had a $10,000 check to cover her shortages, why did she shoot the auditor and then commit suicide? Why? It didn't make sense.
1: Oh, Dollar. Hello, Dameron. Come in, Dollar. I'm uh, glad you dropped by. I thought you'd left town, going back to Hartford.
0: Well, I've stayed over so long waiting for all this to get cleared up, I thought I might as well stick around a while longer.
1: Sure. Can I get you a drink? No, thanks. It uh, is finished, isn't it? Not yet. I don't understand. I talked with Lieutenant Akins today after I saw you with him. He said it was all over as far as he was concerned. You're talking to me
0: now, Dameron. I'm the guy who went out on the limb.
1: And I appreciate that a great deal. A
0: question I want to ask you. You knew Amy Duran. Worked with her at Richmond Limited. You're engaged to marry her sister. Did you know Amy had a $10,000 check in her hand the day she died? Really? That was enough money to cover the shortages in her accounts. Well,
1: I'll be darned. Or do you suppose she shot him? Did what she did then?
0: I've been thinking about that, Dameron. There's only one reason I can think of. Because Amy Duran didn't steal any money, because she didn't shoot any auditor, she didn't commit suicide. I think she borrowed that $10,000 from New York to cover up for somebody else.
1: Somebody else? Who? You.
0: Maybe you better leave here. You're upset. That auditor was a smart guy. He'd been in the business a long time. He found out who'd been taking the money. He called you over to ask you about it, ask you if you could repay it. You lost your head and you shot him with a 38 you picked up over at Teresa O'Connell's one day. Now, look... Then you fixed up all the reports to make it look like Amy Duran did the job.
1: You're crazy. That's fantastic. If you think I'm Amy Duran
0: to... borrowed money to cover for you. She did it not because you were worth it, but because you meant something to her kid sister. You meant something to Teresa O'Connell, who'd lost one husband and tried suicide because of it. A Teresa O'Connell who couldn't afford another major tragedy. A Teresa O'Connell who might try suicide again if the man she was going to marry turned out to be a thief. You counted on that, Dameron. I don't know what you're talking about. only thing listen. you hadn't counted on was the auditor picking it up so fast. And when he called you, you had to kill him to keep him quiet. Then you made a date with Amy out at the Plant Agent Hotel. You slipped poison in her drink and planted the
1: gun in her purse. This is all talk. Just talk. You have nothing to prove she a single... She had one
0: drink with you before you argued with her out in the parking lot. She told me. And the bartender later verified it. Then I came along. Now, look. You're a big guy, Dameron. You could have hit me back in that parking lot, but you didn't have time. You still had to get over to Amy's apartment and plant an empty poison box. You're crazy. You have no proof of this, no proof at all. No, I haven't. But I've been thinking about it all day, and there'll be proof. You had to buy that poison someplace. Lieutenant Akins is a pretty good police officer. He and his men will cover every drugstore in this town and ask questions everywhere. Now, listen, him. I'm going to tell him what I think, and he'll dust off that box of poison. Maybe a prince will turn up on it. Sooner or later, guys like you make mistakes, and Akins finds them.
1: Get out of and here, not Dollar. Get out of here. Of
0: <laughs> now, listen, you. A girl, a fine, decent girl, asked me for help. This is the quickest way I know to give her the help. <laughs>
1: I'll kill you, Dollar.
0: Well, I'll no. kill you. No, you won't. You're not going to kill me. <laughs> okay. Okay, come on, come on, get up, get up.
1: Get up! I've had enough, I've
0: had enough. I want you to tell it now, right now. Over there! Pick it up! Go on, pick it up! Okay, here. And you know who to call.
1: Hello. Hello. Give me the police.
0: Expense account item 12, $55, room and board. Item 13, $55, airfare and miscellaneous, getting me back to Hartford. Total expense account, $702.13. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
8: Remember, there'll be another exciting story of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, beginning next Monday night.
0: Next week, a whole city is aroused by one of the dirtiest rackets of modern times. And I end up right in the middle of things. Join us, won't you? Yours Truly,
8: Johnny Dollar. Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Michael Ann Barrett, Gene Bates, Marvin Miller, Frank Gerstle, Lawrence Dobkin, Jack Crucian, Ken Peters, and Herb Butterfield. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
4: and we're back I hope you enjoyed the episode or the episodes the five 15 minute episodes of yours truly Johnny dollar so uh what'd you guys think of this particular program Jack why don't we start with you
3: <laughs> thanks I, I I I loved it I, I mean it was it was so Johnny dollar without him getting into the facts of the case what I found fascinating about it too though and and this is where maybe Lothar and I and, and, and can talk about some of the elements of noir, um, there is there is this morality that he seems to have. He he does this doesn't demonstrate in many of the sh- in the shows that I've heard in the past where he feels a personal uh, moral requirement to do something to to sit, to to do something about this woman that died. Um, he could have just said, "Oh, that's too bad," and you know, talk, took her to the hospital, and I barely knew her and stuff like that. But he was caught with this. Please help me, and he couldn't get it out of his mind, and that 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 kind of comes to that personal morality thing that that is so indicative of noir stuff that I find so I, I that's what I loved about that aspect um I love the the way it was structured and I like I made notes all the way through and I love and I can talk about the convention of having the phone call at the beginning, which is there to help recap what happened last episode, but it's never just a memory because like a lot of like narratives of, of that. There's just like, well, this is what I came up with. You're getting new information in the recap more often than not too, which is great, you know? So it's, it keeps dra- driving the, the story forward.
4: That's great. Lothar. How about you? What'd you think of this episode?
5: I liked it. Um, It's interesting. Cause again, I'm, I'm not as familiar with Johnny Dollar. It uh, it was, fascinating as we talk about more of the plot um, I love the way it pushed and pulled my emotions I went from beginning thinking God he is the least observant detective in the whole world how did he miss all this (laughs) stuff that we got as an audience member I mean what the hell you're this is your job this should be ingrained into you and then it just like but that instead of making me want to turn it off it made me lean into it more to like figure out okay what's really you know why is he doing this and how are this going to be wrapped up so I thought that was kind of fun but yeah come on he said he's he said oh you know Amy in the very first scene, you didn't catch the name? I mean, come on. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, he, yeah, he I was, even caught her yeah, name. Did you guys catch that? <laughs> <laughs> it's in my notes. Yep.
6: Episode one. Yep. Paul it's in calls Amy too. by name. Yeah. You didn't even yep.
5: notice if she had a person. Oh, I don't know. I didn't even pay attention. Uh, da, da, da. I mean, come on. That's <laughs> he what was, frustrated off the he me. was off the clock.
3: He was off the clock. Yeah, but yeah, that is that this who you end. are? Is this That's just, true. I mean,
5: it's,
4: yeah. come on. Yeah. Sharon, how about you?
5: Well,
6: aside from him being totally off his game and not picking up on the whole, you, you got the name in the first 10 minutes. The, there's also some things that just struck me as really weird. Like where episode two closes out, he f- found the purse, he's going through it, and he says, it's, he finds the gun and it's a thirty-two caliber. And the music goes up and out and coming tomorrow. And he talks about the gun, and all of a sudden it's a thirty-eight caliber, and it stays a thirty-eight <laughs> caliber through the entire remainder of the show. So I don't know if that was a typo for shame for all of you proofreaders back then, <laughs> or if he flubbed it in the recording session. But I thought, wait a minute, I'm pretty sure. Let me rewind that. Yeah. Um, and of course. Johnny, Johnny, my dear little boy, why did you not go right to the police?
5: <laughs> <laughs> uh, why? I'm writing. I'm writing a book, <laughs> Ten Things You Should Not Do If You're a Detective, written by Johnny Dahl.
6: Yes, yes. <laughs> and I mean, I, I remember many episodes that go later down where Johnny is saying, well, I learned long ago that it's important to touch base with the local authorities in these matters. So I'm wondering, maybe this was the lesson from long ago that he learned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, he almost ended up in prison.
3: For sure. And yeah. it, the longer it kept going, it wasn't until the fifth episode he's like, yeah, well, I'm kind of still holding on to it. What? <laughs> Why are you still yeah. holding on to it? <laughs> but, <laughs> so... Dude, you knew you needed to find a
6: lawyer because you did the, the yeah. stupid thing. Yeah.
3: Oh, jeez. And I,
4: and I agree. And there's, there's these little weird continuity things, but for me, it just built the tension yes. because I'm going, Johnny, turn the gun oh, yeah. in. For sure. You, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, and so, so there was like, I think he says at one point, you know, there were three times I had the opportunity to turn the gun in and I didn't do it. I'm going, turn the gun in. Yep. You know, and, and, and for me, it just added to the tension because it's like, you know, what's going to happen? He's like holding withholding evidence. And, you know, so for me, I, I kind of liked it because it just added to the tension.
5: This would be an interesting thing to uh, to look into a little bit more of the way that maybe laws have changed, because the way that things have worked in most part of the latter half of the 20th century and the first part of the 21st century is that it wouldn't matter if the cop didn't want to charge him or not. It still would be like uh you've turned it in it's obviously late. You've admitted it. Sorry, we still have to hit you with this crime. Maybe you're not going to do jail time, but there's going to be a fine. You're still going to have that charge put against
3: you. That's the way
5: the law yeah. works. It's not like, ah, oh, yeah, it's all good, buddy. You just go on home now.
3: No, that's not the way it would work. Would that be state law, though, right? It could be different state by state.
6: Yeah, it is different state by state. And right. anybody who's a gun owner can tell you that Anytime you cross state lines you have to memorize an encyclopedia.
5: Oh absolutely. It's but it's not about the it's not about the gun specifically, it's about the fact that you broke a law. It's on record that you broke a law and that is going and it's at this thing, there is still going to be something to where we can't just sweep this under the under the you know, under the rug. So it'd be like, Okay, here's your two hundred dollar fine, here's your fifty dollar fine, but it's still going to be on the books. For sure. Yeah,
6: And could you imagine in this day and age going into the police department with a gun in hand saying, I want it in a poker game? <laughs> imagine being the cop taking that report and saying, yeah, go on your way. Have a, have fun. You, you've got a gun. You're not going to use it. I'm OK with that.
3: <laughs> I, I do have to point out while we're waiting in that moment. it's like, yeah, I love the fact that they were saying, like, you know, uh, yeah, you could. This, you, you have to register this, but that's, but there's a ton of other laws, you know, and there's, I mean, that's one of the only things you, you don't have to, I mean, there was one thing you didn't have to do, right? It was, it, it didn't matter what you bought it for, but everything else had to be, uh, you know, had to be, yes. uh, was was covered in the law. And I thought, boy, mm-hmm. if times change, cause that's not necessarily the case state by state either, right? There's a ton no. of things that you can have that some, some states cover in laws and some states don't. So, oh yeah.
4: And and I don't I you know I don't think that in a, a fiction thing like this it, they're paying too much attention to the laws I it, you know I think that's a small point sure. you know what I mean it's kind of like okay you know for the for the purpose of the narrative yeah. when I write stuff that like, I don't I don't go look up the laws well, I just I'm just
3: I was just fascinated because I'm always interested in how little there are laws modern day compared to what they used to be that's what I'm fascinated about. And that's what I'm interested in when they always say, like, even when you go to the Old West, like back in the last season when they're Westerns, the amount of laws they had about when you could wear your gun was stunning compared that it was the Old West, right? So.
4: Well, well so we're talking about writing. Let's go ahead and talk. Let's talk a little bit more about the writing. And and it's it's listed as the person listed is a pen name of John Dawson, but it's really E. Jack Newman.
5: Mm, interesting.
4: Who wrote lots of old time radio shows, TV and. And at least one film. So what did you think of the writing, Lothar? Why don't we start with you? I
5: really liked it, and I actually have a note down. I thought it was um, very early on in his narration when he was just talking about why he's in Virginia in the first place in this hotel. And just that brief thing of three miles out of town, back among the trees, or ex- you know what, what exactly he said, I'm paraphrasing, I thought was very concise, but also evocative. And it just felt like, okay, I've got a sense of place with very minimal cues. They did that really well. So I, I thought that... Some of the writing was really, really good. Um, the only criticism I have is it felt like the last episode, the last 15 minutes, was a little bit fast because they had to get to the end, you know, before you know the clock struck 12 for the for the show. That ties in a little bit with the darkness of the sort of metafictional noir that we can talk about in a bit.
4: How about you, Sharon? What did you think of the writing? You
5: know,
6: I'm more impressed by the research because when they describe a town, I mean, these guys are in LA writing this, but they know how things are pronounced by the locals. They know what kind of geography is in the area. Uh, There are episodes that Johnny actually drives through my hometown and another one where he drives through where I live right now and they are spot on. Oh wow. And and they didn't have Wikipedia. No, they didn't. And, telephones were not exactly the easiest way to communicate either you had to go through a long distance operator the the research they put into it to know exactly everything about Vicksburg Virginia to make you feel like you were confident that they were actually there is so impressive
3: to me I was just gonna say that is an element of of noir that we've talked about before is is setting right it's it's getting setting right as a cause setting itself is almost like a character in, in one way or another. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that's, that's really cool that they got that right. So I, I appreciate you talking about that. I, like again, I love the structure. So I, I, I sat down and wrote down notes about how there's between two and three scenes in each episode. And so and the third one is i think it's usually the third one there's three scenes but there, the third one is always sort of like the cliffhanger that catches you to the next of what you needed to do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i um i really enjoyed i i want to talk about how the the story seems to move really easily like you don't get lost like you, we've gotten lost in uh some Marlowe stories in the same way uh there's there's some question of course about at at you know why this was done but it's it's solved at least in the end and it's it's not nearly as difficult to sort of piece out because it's not like you consider like will this person murder this person to murder this person and, and it's very you know straightforward reasoning and and you know why and and even the characterization in the stories I love that there's a very noir response to a lot of the stuff that he just in the in the dialogue that Johnny dollar uses much of his short responses to uh terry uh when she misunderstands thinking that uh, he's an old buddy army buddy of her of her ex-husband a lot of his short responses are enigmatic which i love in noir star style in noir you never answer something in the affirmative uh you just let it hang to make them question whether it's true or not but if there's something that you can answer that will Suggest something potentially different or salacious just in the response, they'll use that, which is kind of cool. It's just, it's a very interesting style of writing.
4: I thought it was interesting, and Jack, you brought it up if this is what you meant when you said it about the recaps. I thought it was, I thought they did a good job of doing like a quick recap within the the dialogue of the last, of what happened in the last episode. Because what happened if you missed it? If you missed, you saw episode one, you missed episode two. You know, you can't, you can't, it's not on demand. You can't go back and watch it and binge it, you know, in 1956. And I I just thought that, you know, Johnny Dollar would explain to one of the characters what happened. And I I think it would catch the listener up in case they missed one of the, one of the installments. So I thought that was, I thought that was well done. And it
3: happened to be the murderer. And I had a note here sitting there going. How did yes. Paul Dameron know who to where to call? because <laughs> so, I don't know if he's not like he had a card to oh, give him. To... Uh,
5: no, it, it's because he's still at the Plantagenet Hotel. Oh, everybody so he's knows still... he's there. So it's just I, I just need. Can you connect yeah. me to Johnny Dollar's room? But yeah. um, in in regard to what you guys are saying, which I think is uh, absolutely spot on, it's also really cool because if you had been listening, like we all have, and you didn't miss it, you didn't need the recap because you missed it. It's also a little bit of new information, like Jeff you were saying earlier, and so it's this bridge to where. You get something new from it, even if you've listened to all the old episodes, it's still providing something new, as well as bringing you up to speed if you did miss it. I thought that was very deftly done.
6: Yeah, and another place where they recap is always in the third part. There is a point right. where Johnny has to talk it out with somebody. So right. yeah, I believe it was episode three where he went and got to the lawyer and gave his statement, and basically that was the recap that leads you up to, okay, and it was like half of the episode before moving to
5: that next thing. And that could be so formulaic, but they do it very, very well in all the different ones that I've heard, which again is only a handful, but each one, it's been really impressive how well they handle this
3: internal formula they've created and make it seem natural. Actually, that's episode four, though, that he did that. So Oldfield shows up for the statement, for the withholding evidence statement in episode four. But- he calls him at the end of episode three, asking for something specific there. So, um, yeah. Have you been to Polk Street, Sharon? Because that's... <laughs> there must be a Polk Street, because that's where Teresa O'Connell's house is. I remember they said that. So
6: <laughs> I, I have not, but I would imagine, because at one point or another, Mobile Gas was a sponsor. Oh. And you knew this because he would variably say and we drove past the sign of the flying red horse (laughs) so i would imagine they were getting maps from the sponsor saying these are where all our gas stations are right and they could just simply call the sponsor and say hey i need a map of vicksburg
5: does anybody know if there was a real Plantagenet Hotel there? Because I tried to look it up, but I couldn't find anything, which meant either the records are gone, or it wasn't really there, or it's just harder to find with my ten-minute internet search. Does anybody know if there was an actual Plantagenet Hotel in Vicksburg?
3: No, nah, I couldn't find or if they, it, either. or if they made it up for the. Uh, yeah, I think they must have the made it up because I didn't find it either. Right. So maybe they didn't want to be sued. And also, <laughs> so, para- Paramithal
5: yeah. doesn't seem to exist either. It seems. No, to be a I noticed poison. that
3: too. Yeah. Wow,
4: I didn't even look that up. Wow. Yeah, that's Fenty all. Poison. I'm all about I looking like up it.
5: poisons, man. You know, gotta have gotta have oh, plans yeah. in my back. Wow, pocket.
4: we know that. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
6: Yeah, the there is a Plantagen Hotel in Australia. That's the only one I can yes. find. Yeah, I found Googling that one too. Right now, uh, there's another one that's somewhere in France because I can't read it.
5: <laughs> Which makes sense uh, with the name. So
4: we talked about it uh, a little bit of how uh, in the open of how Bob Bailey doesn't always prescribed to the hardboiled detective rules, or noir rules, or however you want to couch that. Lothar, well, can you say any more about that? Of uh, how he's different? I mean, I know you mentioned a little bit, but a little more details, sure, you can. You know, from
5: my point of view, one, uh, th- none of the um, you know standard hardboiled tropes are there. Like Sharon mentioned earlier, his language, while it has a little bit of that, like Jack mentioned, he's not really hardboiled. He doesn't use the illusions. He's actually a much warmer person. In a lot of ways, he's uh, he reminds me a lot of. Um, Randy Stone from uh, from Nightbeat in his warmth and his approach. He's not, you know, he's not this rugged brute of a man even, you know, in the level of like a, you know, a Marlowe or or a Sam Spade or someone like that. Noir, I see very little noir in the actual plotting itself because they're all very I don't know, they're they're much more bright mysteries. There's there's not much darkness. You don't come away from the, these are a little bit more escapist. They're a little bit more. I felt really good. I just had a fun time listening to the show. They don't plunge you into wrestling with something existential, which we haven't seen a lot in the radio anyway, which we've talked about because of the uh, constraints of mass broadcasting with uh, advertising dollars and things like that. There's one aspect, but I think we should probably talk through the plot a little bit uh, more before I, I bring that up. But it's uh, the one thing that felt a little bit more traditionally hard noir or hard boiled, not hard noir, was. Um, like Jack said, when when Johnny was talking with Terry the first time, he's kind of almost like pretending to be someone different, even though he's really not. And she's kind of talking, and it almost felt like at that point we're in more of a traditional hard-boiled, you know, tale. But other than that, it felt uh, it has its own sort of unique feel.
4: Anyone else have any thoughts on that?
3: Would you call that grease then, like the noir? Oh, all media? all of yeah. this
5: radio stuff is gritty. There's no there's no there's no noir in radio. Right, it's all gritty. <laughs>
6: Now I felt that when Johnny was talking to Terry, he could see that she was a lost soul, and he didn't want to burst her bubble, and so he was acting in compassion by not saying, "Oh no, no, I'm a detective."
5: Right. Exactly.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And and um, that that gets added into like her fragility gets added into as as a a, a possible reason why her sister might uh steal the stuff for uh, to, you know to protect uh her from this this new uh, potential husband's you know bad actions because she was worried that you know something else would happen and she would try another suicide attempt and stuff like that so they're trying to sort of set up that kind of weakness it's fascinating how she kind of like comes off as you know all you know attractive and like at the very beginning that that's a noir thing right the whole thing of like this the seductive woman, and then switches like instantaneously. Oh, you're not the guy I was expecting kind of thing. It did remind me of of similar shows in the past where they were sort of pl- being playful at first, but that wasn't the purpose for this. So it was kind of nice to to switch that up and not just have your standard femme fatale kind of character. I mean, not, none, of the, none of the women were, which was awesome
5: mm-hmm. for a
3: change, you know? Yeah, and even, yeah.
5: even, even Dameron was... I guess as sympathetic as a uh, sleazy murderer can be. Yeah.
3: (laughs) So interesting how they like the 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 sort of back and forth between him like the the testosterone challenges, you know, like yelling at each other and then they backing off like I don't want to go. That was the most
5: civilized fist fight I've ever experienced (laughs) since probably middle school. That's right. (laughs) Now you
3: know what to do. Fine, I'll call it. The sound effects
4: though. (laughs) I I I thought the sound effects were great in that fist fight. Mm Mm-hmm. At the end, I loved them. Yeah. I thought that was well done.
3: Yeah. And and it's so hard to do a good fight in audio and make it sound realistic.
5: Oh, the production, the production values and the sound effects were absolutely perfect. From the footsteps to the, everything was just really good.
4: There's one part, when you listen to it, I think he's coming up to Terry's house, and you hear his footsteps, like, on the sidewalk. And then you can tell that he's going up, like, three steps. hmm Then he takes another two steps onto the landing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Wow, that's good
6: yeah yep. that that's one of the things that really stands out about Bob Bailey as a voice actor is he was amazing in his ability to convey with just his voice what his body was doing right. You know,
3: yeah, you could tell great.
6: that is the sound of somebody walking upstairs. That's the sound of somebody who's standing up from being in a chair.
4: Right. That was fantastic. So I, I agree with you, Lothar. I thought the production values were just top notch. One
5: other thing, which, I you know, adds to us as an audience, maybe knowing more than what uh, Johnny Dollar consciously knows that he actually heard. But in addition to the, you know, calling her Amy and what I'm sort of referencing here is the, while there's sound effects in the background, the dialogue is still very crisp and not obscured by the sounds as they were done, which I thought was really good. So when, you know, she's in the taxi, uh, we actually hear her say, um, you know, downtown is where she wants to go. So again, Johnny Dollar should have known that, well, she lives downtown somewhere that would have, you know, maybe given the cops some extra clues, but then as she's doing her convulsions and, you know, Johnny Dollar is talking a little bit and everybody's talking and we hear her say, I never thought hid dot, dot, dot. So we have another clue that she knows at that point that she's been poisoned. So right. we know a little something more yeah. than, than, than Dollar picked up. But again, it's the the production level that let us catch that very important line. Very cool. And,
6: and we can excuse Johnny. He may have been distracted.
5: Yes. That's true. Yeah. And, and he had just had a drink.
4: So, you know. Yeah. You know, hey, what the heck? The
3: thing is, I don't notice Johnny being romantically involved all that often in the show either. Do you notice that? So this is one of the few times that he was, like, really taken with somebody.
5: Dude, he just he just loves his expense report. Yeah, there's a
4: few, yeah. but not always. No, not,
3: that's what I mean. It's like if you look at a Marlowe story or something like that or Sam Spade, it's almost every single episode, right? Oh, yeah. Um, You know, and, and Harry Lime and you name them kind of thing. It's it's certainly not every episode that Johnny has, has an attraction for somebody in the same way. He's not Devil May Care Richard Diamond wandering around, you know, Chatting up chicks, kind of thing.
4: He wasn't a musical theater.
3: No, that's his problem. <laughs> if he was musical theater, he might have done better. <laughs>
6: so, there, there's actually um, one of the Charles Russell episodes says uh, you could have gone through the phone book and picked anybody else. Why'd you call me? If you had called Richard Diamond, he would have sung you a song.
0: <laughs> Did you say that? <laughs> oh,
4: that's awesome. <laughs> that's, <exactly. laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful.
3: What'd you think of the the acting of the other of the other characters?
4: Oh, beautiful! That's Fantastic. just what I was going to bring up. Yeah. Here's what I thought: they were all really good, but I thought the person who played Lieutenant Acres and the guy who played the lawyer were especially yeah. good. I just I just felt like they were they were they were spot on. I don't I don't know their names because it it doesn't break down their names in the in the uh, credits, and I looked online and and uh, but.
5: They they ramble off the names of the they ramble off the names of the actors in the very last episode, but it's very fast that Roy Rowan does it, and we don't know which one matches
4: up to which character. Yeah, that's right. Just they don't say it. you know playing as you know, so I don't know. Let's I mean, we it.
6: have uh, Michael Ann Barrett, Gene Bates. So there you have uh, the two ladies. Don't know who Marvin Miller was. Frank Gerstlow, Larry Dobkin, I think was the sheriff. Pretty sure. Jack Crucian, who...
4: He was in a lot of them.
6: He's in a lot, but ironically, I didn't recognize his voice. Uh, Ken Peters and Herb Butterfield, and, I mean... Herb
3: Butterfield's in a lot, too.
6: Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah, so did Marvin Miller. Marvin Miller has a resume long. It's,
6: it's one amazing. of the very rare episodes that Virginia Gregg was not in.
4: hmm What's his name? Harvey Martell? Is it Harvey Martell? No. Harry Bartell? He's not in this one. No, it's Rory But Roy he's, he's in a lot of them. Um,
3: oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, no. I thought you were talking about as as
4: Bear uh, Bears in a lot of the them. Yeah. Even Vincent Price was in one as Vincent Price. Right. I don't know if you know that. Yes. Oh, I love yes. that one. Yeah, it's a great one. <laughs> William Conrad's in some of them. Oh, yeah. So yeah. they it was a great it was a great uh, mm-hmm. list of people who were they established
6: were in them. a lot of regular characters through the course of the serial year because we were introduced to uh, Randy Singer in the New York Police Department. Right. Um, we were introduced to regular representatives from the insurance company, from Pat McCracken, and, and the names are escaping me of the others that mm-hmm. uh, Parley Bear voiced one. Herb Porman, Earl Porman, that's it. That was mm-hmm. Parley Bear's guy. The one that always sent him on the most bizarre things, like the missing mouse and the talking dolphins.
11: <laughs>
6: that was Floyd the Barber's voice actor. Yeah, yeah, Oliver. Howard McNair. Yep. Right.
4: You Howard McNair. Yep. But they they established
6: fantastic. a regular cast of characters and recurring characters, which made it a family.
4: Yeah. And I liked I liked the call in the beginning because like you said, sometimes it it would be somebody who had called before and, you know, every once in a while they try to convince him to go, right? So they're like, well, you know, uh, Johnny, there's good fishing up there right around this time. They know Johnny Dollar, some of them, and, and uh, try to convince him. And when we did our show, call was made by Jan, Lothar's mm-hmm. wife. Yep.
3: Yeah. yeah I, I wanted to talk quickly about Roy Rowan, too, because...
5: He is awesome. Um, I love Roy Rowan's
3: voice. I know. And the thing is, is that... I'm always fascinated by announcers because they just come in for like three or four lines and then they're gone. And like, what do they do for the rest of the time? <laughs> well, it's. Uh, but he, I mean, he was famous for uh, Lucille Ball being the announcer for her shows. And he was their warm up man, too, I guess, for the I Love Lucy show and then later the Lucy Desi comedy hour. So. But he also ended up doing things like Dallas and Falcon Crest. So that cut. Kind of, yeah. So, anybody, when it comes to radio, he appeared, uh, he was in The Escape. In, in, in sorry, escapes the time machine episode and a bunch of gun smokes and a bunch more, of course, yours for Johnny Dollar. But I think um, he he he, also, go ahead. No, no I was just going to say he had his finger in a lot of different places. So, yeah.
5: Yeah. And I think he was, he was also really influential in the same way that I I forget his name, but the the TV guy, like in a world, you know, and, and everybody copies that now. Right. Same with Roy Rowan. You can hear Roy Rowan and then you can hear, oh, TV shows with with announcers like uh, Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In and things like that. Right. And it's like, you can see like that style of announcing became iconic and other people aped his style after that. So he was really, I think, uh, trendsetting in that way.
6: Yeah. For I sure. mean, I have th- this mental image of him coming in, doing his announcement, looking at his watch and saying, okay, I've got 10 minutes before they need me back. I'm going to go to the next soundstage and do their announcement. Yep. And... You know, I just see him going from one soundstage to the next, recording the announcements and, you know, spending his day jumping from one show to the next.
4: Yep. Yeah, I see it the same way. Exactly. Anybody else stand out acting wise for you guys? I thought I thought everybody
5: was really good, but I thought especially um, the actress who played Terry had a had a very nice vulnerability as well as a vulnerability that came through from a very well mannered person who was like, I am I'm on I'm I'm presenting who I am. But in the way that I should in, 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 a social situation, but at the same time, a lot of vulnerability. And the actress who played Amy was also really great.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't have her for very long. It would have been interesting if she nope lasted longer in the series, but you got to have a murder to get started. Right. So, yeah. uh, but she really
5: convinced, I think she convinced the audience to care for her in the same way that in just a short period of time, the character convinced Johnny to care about her in such a short period of time. Right.
4: For yeah. sure. Well, she was so nice, you know, she's like, thank you for not asking me my name and thank you for, you know, and thank you for this. And, you know, you just really liked her. And you could tell, like like you said, I think, Jack, you could tell that Johnny really liked her mm-hmm. when they were sitting there, you know, and he's like, hey, want to have one for the road? And she's like, yeah. no, no, no.
3: But he didn't pressure her either. And I think that's what allowed no, he her didn't. to open her up, right? So she was just sort of right. like, he just wanted her to sort of get her back to a neutral spot so she would feel comfortable again because she was obviously rattled by what it happened. Which says a lot well, about his He was his telling her all his right? jokes, right? So, sorry, what was that?
4: I just said he was telling her all his jokes and yes. this one's one of the most respected jokes out there. <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> do you, that Do you means, guys but...
5: know what that joke is?
4: No, no. it's you? it's actually He never a, tells it,
5: the joke. It's actually a riddle um, that he was probably got changed into a joke but 10 men are sitting under an umbrella and none of them were getting wet just then a man walked up. Well, what the traditional one is like 10 men standing under an umbrella and none were getting wet. How could that happen? It wasn't raining. <laughs> and then here, here, Here's a related one. Okay. Here, here's a related one. Why do people often carry umbrellas in the city? I don't know. Because umbrellas can't walk. <laughs> <laughs> oh. yonk, 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 yonk.
3: <laughs> that was my that oh, was my pain. that was my
5: cheesy lightness before uh, before we start I getting love into it. the darkness. Thank you
3: very much. I will have to save those for when I find a woman who's been ra- rattled at some point. That's <laughs> right. Her yeah, a, and you're telling her jokes. A bar, Life could you know?
4: be worse. You
3: could That's be listening right. to it's jokes like, like you know, this. Exactly. Why yeah. do you think she had to leave so quickly? It wasn't any other reason. <laughs> Get me a cab. I'm out of here. These jokes are driving me crazy. So. Yeah. <laughs>
4: What else? What else did people want to talk about since we're talking about before we bring this up? Uh, since to we're talking about Terry
5: and Amy, I'd like to talk about where I think the darkness is. And I think part of it is metafictional in the sense that they ran out of time. So hey, we gotta wrap this up and get ready for our next show next week. But there's something very interesting that is sort of the subtext that doesn't get brought out, which is that if one of the defining qualities of Noir is the forgotten people. The people that are in the darkness, the underworld, and how there's a distinct divide between those that are living in the light, which the cops are part of that, and Johnny Dollar is the insurance guy, he gets to go home now, and mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. Well, there's someone who's been completely forgotten by the end of the show. It's the woman who was suicidal because her husband died. Who then, her kid sister, who stole money to make her happy, ended up getting murdered and poisoned by... Teresa's new fiancé, who is now in jail. Well, I hope they have her on suicide watch again. Yeah. She's, yeah. you know, they just completely left. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Amy's the important one. We need to clear Amy's name. She's the sister that everybody loves. She's the one that everybody would murder for and everything. Teresa's lost in the woods. You know, she's back in her own little house with absolutely nobody.
6: Did, did I miss here? The story listening to, I thought Paul was the one who was the embezzler, and Amy had gotten a check from her, uh, a loan check to pay it off so that Paul wouldn't get in trouble to protect Terry.
5: Paul poisoned That's the Amy. Way I saw. That's Paul, the way I heard. Paul murdered yep. Amy, though. Yeah. Yes. Right. So he's but going I, to. My understanding
6: her... was that he murdered Amy because Amy found out. That he cooked the books and did it so it would frame Amy for doing it. Amy didn't actually I, I still cook think, the books. It was Paul I he, who did it. Right. And but, she saw it,
5: Right, confronted
6: yes. him on it, and he had to kill her to keep her quiet.
5: Right. Yes. No, which is why right when
6: they found that $10,000 check in Amy's possession, it was like, why, if she could pay it back, why would she embezzle?
5: Mm -hmm. Right. But that's still, my point is still that basically everybody forgot about Terry and her sister was murdered by her fiance, who was a horrible criminal who did things. And now she's all left alone again and feels like a fool. And I would have liked one line from Aiken saying, I've contacted a social worker. We're going to make sure that Terry's okay. That would have like, yeah, this out, but nope, everybody forgot about her. So there's the noir darkness of the episode. If we need one. (laughs) Right. What
3: a sunshine way to bring in noir. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, he's probably gonna die. One thing that I I wanted to mention that I was interested in is like who did the music because they don't talk about that. So I, I, I did a oh, little yeah. bit of research and they set the music a bunch of great. people sort of wrote in and so this one guy wrote in. he said that he believes Frank Skinner is the composer of the familiar yours truly Johnny Dollar radio scene uh, radio uh, series theme and based on sort of he said it's a dead ringer for his song from the wonderful doris day thriller midnight lace which came out in 1960 and then somebody down uh, a little later on said i can tell you for certain that the theme source is the capital q production library theme number one dramatic there are several versions of it therefore the capital q library was assimilated into a production library and they had all sorts of themes for other shows like, um, uh, the pirates, uh, the Bowery boys, Abbott and Costello, all that kind of stuff. So I guess there were, there were some places that like to just create these theme theme music for people to be able to utilize. So it's interesting. I was hoping at some point the, the capital Q production library might become public domain. So that would be
6: neat to be able
3: to, Oh, that would be awesome. For sure. Yeah,
6: it it may um be in I think it's 3 Oaks Library has the script collection. Oh, they wow. may also have the music collection, but I know that the musical supervisor was Amerigo Marino.
4: Yes, he was. Right.
6: So, he's the one who was, you know, pointing the fingers and saying this goes here and there, but I have no idea who the musicians or composers
3: are. Right.
4: Well when you one thing I noticed in the end when um you talk about putting it in cuz spotting the music I thought it was spotted very well especially in the end when Paul and and Johnny were kind of coming to a climax with each other and right at that moment you get these this like syncopated you know drum beat like boom boom in the background and I was like oh that's that's nicely done for sure um, and it wasn't overpowering. It was just there in the background, but it added some some tension to that scene. So I thought the spotting was, was really well done.
3: A little bit oh, of yeah. um, ominous horns at times, right? I was listening on in, in, in the car and I'm like, that's the ominous horns, da da da, kind of thing. So <laughs> you expect those in detective shows, which is good. Yes. And there was, I think,
5: some very nice oboe work, either that or some interesting clarinet, but there was some cool stuff.
4: There was. And the recording was so nice and clean. You know, I, I've been listening to some space patrols that because I'm, I'm going to do a space patrol, but boy, some of them you can't even understand; they're so bad. Right. Yeah. But this is nice and crisp and clean, high quality. A joy to listen to from that aspect as well. It's
3: funny you say space patrol because I was just thinking today, what are we going to do next season? And I think we should do science fiction and fantasy. I think we should look at. Oh, I do. Oh, oh I did. thought that's what we were going to do. Yeah, yeah, I, that's, what they, yeah. What they did. Back in the day, and and how it, how some of it worked out, and how some of it was really off. I always love how they say yes. "robots" instead of "robots." It's my favorite thing whenever I hear it on like X minus one robots, robots, <laughs> robots. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sounds well, you... like sounds like a, a cigarette company. Could you pass me some robots, please? Robots. <laughs> yes. And how it's disappointing! And they one, had man. such
6: high hopes for the next millennia, and here we yes. sit.
4: Oh, yeah. We have robot vacuums. All right, so that's good. So we're going to come up on about two hours real soon. Any last thoughts on Johnny Dollar? Sharon, why don't we start with you? Well,
6: one interesting thing we talked about earlier that you couldn't go back and rewind or or re-listen because nobody had tape recorders or VCRs and that sort of stuff. They often recycled stories. This is actually a repeat of a story that they did in 1952, The New Cambridge Matter. And they did this frequently. And there are a lot of stories that were used, crossed over to other series as well.
4: Mm-hmm. And this was one of them. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. This was, the uh, the, uh, the author of this had done this, this show twice before in other, this episode in other shows. The thing is that we talked about earlier, but the 75-minute format allowed him to really expand. Mm-hmm. So that's that's cool. That's a great point. Thank you, Jack. How about you? Any last yeah, thoughts? Yeah, on? Well,
3: a couple. But um, it's just when she's talking about recycling, it's reminding me how like really late uh, Shadow episodes tended to be almost like uh, recycled detective stories from other places where the Shadow barely showed up, and it was all Lamont Cranston doing detective work for the same reason. But my my big question, my big thought at the very end is, why yours truly? Why not sincerely? because yours truly says something different and uh at least it does today right i mean but it's 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 often thrown off but it does mean something different it's often used as as a more personal response too mm-hmm. um and so i love that aspect because it's personal and yet it's not you know what i mean and it gets personal for him specifically in this story and and, and there's that aspect of the main character where he gets he gets right into it, right? Because it, it's never just a job for him. In some ways, it's a matter of like this is the way things need to be straightened out. So I think I I'm I'm interested in what other people's thoughts of like why they chose the title Yours Truly.
5: Well, let's look at the word true from its more historic as well as still common sense of I am true to something, I am mm-hmm. true to you. I pledge my troth to you. He is the true detective. He's the one who's going to find the truth. Not only in the factual sense, but he's also going to uphold what uh, we want our heroes to uphold. And it right. also scans better. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, sounds better. That he'd have to do sincerely, Johnny Dollar, to get that same sort of cadence. <laughs> so you know. Well, when it
6: first started out with Charles Russell, it was more um, at investigating. He's fantastic, but at padding his expense account, he's a genius. And <laughs> it was all his sign-off was always. Yours mm, truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: <laughs> oh,
5: that's great.
4: <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I've never listened to those. I'm going to have to listen to what them a great now.
5: show. Yeah. Happy absolutely. to be here.
4: Any, oh yeah, thank you for joining us, Sharon. It made it uh, extra special to have you here. And your knowledge is amazing of Johnny Dollar. And I think we had mentioned that once before. So I'm glad that uh, we were able to have you join us. Glad. And I'm to- gonna I'm gonna tell I'm gonna say it right now. Oh, go ahead, Sharon. I'm sorry. I cut you off.
6: I'm thrilled that you invited me. This is a blast. I get a chance to put my little absolute fangirl hat on and gush.
4: (laughs) Well, we're glad that you did. We're all about geeking out. I enjoyed having you. Yeah, you know. And so I'm just going to say before we talk about what uh, we're going to do next, maybe... I'm just gonna say I have to do one of those rogues galleries at some point cool. this season before we, because I just you know the whole idea of getting knocked in the head and you know seeing a, <laughs> a, a seeing a a phantom fa- you know of his imagi- a figment of his imagination the you know with his name spelled up. backwards right <laughs> Yes. right e, e-, 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 e- Gorge or whatever his name Eugor. is yeah, It's rogue spelled
6: it. so, backwards yeah
4: that's right yeah, yeah. right yeah so. Uh, so we gotta do. I gotta do that, but I'm gonna think that Jack is up next. Is that true, true. Mister
3: Ward? It is true. So what I what I threatened to do a couple a couple of episodes back, I kind of want to do too. Is um, I wanna. I want. I'm gonna be listening to a bunch of Blake Edwards shows in the noir fashion, and so um, as opposed to an actual show, it could be. It could be a suspense show. It could be a Richard Diamond show. It could be a lineup show, but I've got five or six of them that I'm going over right now that I'm going to try and listen to and decide which one I or two I want to be able to play and talk about uh, the guy who we know as the the creator of the Pink Panther and many other stories mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. movies. How did he get his start doing noir-ish stuff in the radio? Wow. Awesome. That sounds good. Cool. Yeah.
4: That sounds really good.
5: Thanks. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's nice because I'm going to be pulling stuff from suspense too. And what I've been finding is that the things that are closer to being more noir as opposed to serial, lighthearted, hard boiled really come out of suspense. That's, that's really the, the goldmine for something a little bit darker and a little more literary. Sweet. Cool.
4: That's exciting. <laughs> so, yes. once again, thank you, Sharon, for coming on with us. We enjoyed having you with us.
6: My pleasure. Thank you.
4: Oh, you're welcome. And of course, to my brothers Jack and Lothar, thank you as always. Oh, thanks
3: so much for bringing yours truly, Johnny Dollar, to the to the four. I always love this show. Yeah, thank you so much, Sharon and, and Jeff for
5: for
4: you know hosting this and and bringing the show. It's been a lot of fun. Fantastic. So thanks again. Thanks for everyone for listening and. uh We'll see you next time, right here on Sonic Echo, as we continue our season of noir and hard-boiled detectives, and if maybe today was a little more soft-boiled. But
3: <laughs> I did have it eggs. was. Uh... <laughs> oh, you did really?
4: <laughs> let's talk about your breakfast. All right.
3: Sorry to interrupt. <laughs>
4: Sorry. No, that was perfect. As a let's let's end on eggs.
3: All right, scrambled.
4: All right, thanks everybody. Good
3: night. Adios. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. See ya. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Thank you for listening to Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. We invite you to continue the amazing audio tomorrow on Mutual with the Monday Matinee. Our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic, and live radio dramas. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed every day for the world's largest curated collection of audio drama, or find the Monday Matinee feed in your favorite podcast players. See you tomorrow at the Matinee, and thanks so much for listening. The
2: Mutual Audio Drama Network